Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome back to the premiere of the live show. This is The Keel Show. I am your host, Alex Keel, alongside me, the inside of the entire, <laughs> aka the guy who has been very anxious and very hyped for this moment, Tyler Keel. I've only been panicking for the probably the last half hour, so if this looks good, thank you all for watching. If this looks bad, well, I mean, yeah, that's how it'll go. If you want to let us know how things go, make sure to use the hashtag TKS at The Keel Show on Twitter, Facebook. Make sure to check us out on YouTube. But we are here with the help of our friends at 12 Ounce Sports Network. You can watch them and us on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and Zingo TV. Zingo, sign up for free using the promo code 12 ounce. That's the numbers one, two, lowercase O, lowercase Z, and watch us and other 12 ounce sports content on channel six, excuse me, channel 761. Today's episode is brought to you by Second String Leather Company. Collection 5 has just come out, which includes the Brian's Demon Collection and the Zilla Collection, which is named after the pads used by none other than Washington Capitals legend Olaf Kolzik. Oli the goalie. Second string leather. Crafted from the crease. Yeah. This episode is also brought to you by MyBookie.com. MyBookie is a phenomenal site. You can hear it. Wait, hold on. Wait, what is it? Phenomenal. Phenomenal. Okay. Never would have guessed it. Phenomenal site to bet on all sports, or at least the sports that you can bet on, and win. Make sure to use the promo code 12 ounce sports and join for free today. Hey, look, we're live. <laughs> hey, it works, Ty. Good job. Hey, well, okay. I forgot my sound saw. My I, I will have to say, for, for those of you who don't get to see the behind the scenes stuff, and then maybe maybe once we get big enough, we'll be able to do a behind the scenes kind of thing with someone actually filming what goes on before the show and what goes on during the week. And by during the week, I mean it's usually Tyler just texting me saying, hey, this is what we're going to talk about. Hey, this is who we got. This, well, yeah, this, hey, yeah. This, this is, these are the people we're interviewing for this week, all that good stuff. Yeah, maybe we'll get that on film one day. That is if we get that big. Well, but, we, well, we did hit the record button on the video, so we got the first few minutes and the last couple minutes about me about to throw up here on Oh, the you're fine. So, well, of course, I mean, we should probably tell them, too, if you guys are not able to see the full video today, it'll not just be up here on your 12-ounce sports networks, whether it be on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, you're on the website on 12OunceSportsRadio.com. Zingo TV replays will also be on our own YouTube channel at The Kewl Show on YouTube. It actually is it at the, on the Kewl Show? At The Kewl Show is. on YouTube. It is The Kewl Show. We'll be on there as well. We'll also do some special videos there some of these days whenever we actually figure out what we're doing on this thing because well, we really don't. We, yeah, used, we, we well, have a relative guess we of used, how we're doing We things. used to do the videos for a little bit. Both We w- did when I was actually the one producing it. <laughs> well, back when we, A, did it off of your phone. Yes. And then when we did it a little bit for TKP, now we're here on TKS at The Kewl Show on Twitter. Hashtag TKS. Hashtag The Kewl Show. We can say TKS now, Alex. We can say that. Because apparently the TKP was not good. Not good at all. But let's get into what we are going to be talking about today. The topics of discussion. We will talk about the Hall of Fame class of 2020. We have a special interview with none other than the Red Wings radio play-by-play host Ken Cal. We'll also talk about the craziness that was the NHL draft lottery and probably throw our own personal two cents in there. Well, we'll probably get the we'll get Ken's reaction because Ken Cal had a couple of really good bits there during... I mean, uh, so did Stevie. Stevie, of course. Well, Stevie actually had, did a good job of calming everyone down. That's why I can't wait for my interview later with Harrison Watt because... 
he's a Red Wings fan, and he was Mr. Calm Down, which is usually the opposite of what Harrison usually is. Usually he's panicked. Actually, no, that's with the Lions. He's usually crazy and loses his mind over the Lions. Anybody and he's calm that, about the Red Wings. Anybody that cheers for the Lions is crazy. Go Bucks, <laughs> Brady. What? The Bucks. You got to cheer for Brady. I'm not cheering for Cam Newton and the Patriots. Tom Brady. Or, or you could just root for collegiate football. That's well, yeah, you but you got, what do you do on Sunday then? Sleep? Watch NASCAR. Yeah, that's going to go through November. Actually, that probably will go through November, like almost the entire month of November this year. I mean, let's be honest. We'll have to see what the final schedule turns out to be. So we got those. We talked about the draft lottery. Uh, we'll do a follow-up with Tyler's pre-recorded interview with Jack Michaels, the Oilers radio voice. Yep. 6.30 Ched is the, is the the Edmonton Oilers big carrier there. Yep, and then we will cap it all off with some college puck talk with Harrison Watt, uh, probably around uh, 8 p.m. on the scheduled show today. Because it is 6 o'clock, 6.06 Eastern time. Probably should mention it's Eastern time because we got you know people that watch us and listen to us all around the country, North America. And, you know, we have some folks over in Europe. We do. And you can catch, of course, if you're not able to watch us, if you just want to listen to us instead of see these ugly faces, you can obviously see it. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts. They finally updated our logo on there, which is nice. Good. So they're able to see our cool logo that was created by my good friend, Tyler William Burke, the first. He created that himself. <laughs> I know he loves it when I call him William. He calls me James, so. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. James isn't even part of your name. It's not. It's just Tyler. Anyways, let's get into the show today. First. Hockey Hall of Fame nominees. First, let's go down the list, and then we can talk about why we think they deserve to be there and some of their accomplishments that they've had. Do we want to get? Well, we'll see if we have time for omissions too, because there's a couple this year. Alex, People that, that we think should or should be in there that aren't. Well, yes, both. That, that's that section. If we do, if we decide to go through there, is going to be literally you saying it, and I'll give you my opinion because at this point, I don't know completely who who's eligible. Well, because let's get out of the way. Alexander McGillney. That is the guy that... Uh, Listen, we'll get through the names here, and when I say these names, but Alexander McGillney, who, by the way, scored 76 goals as a Stanley Cup champion. We will get there. I'm just saying. That's what I'm saying is like... We will get there. If the criteria is what is of this year's class, and listen, I have respect for each member of this class coming in here, but if you're going to be able to say that these guys are allowed into the Hall of Fame, but Alexander McGillney, of his caliber, of his skill, is not... It's kind of unfair. That's just my opinion on that, because I know there's a lot of people that have a lot of great takes on it, a lot of hot takes as well, but I think he's the guy that should be allowed in, given the players and the staff that are also in the Hall of Fame class of 2020. Fair enough. So going down the list, in the builders category, we have none other than former Detroit general manager, current Edmonton Oilers general manager, Ken Holland. There's also Doug Wilson, Kevin Lowe, Marion Hosa. Kim St. Pierre, and the biggin, Iggy, Jerome Aginla. Jerome Aginla, the man, the myth, the legend. Ain't no myth. He's full real. He is real. Speaking of Iggy, we should probably send our condolences to Mr. Steve Dangle, whose puppy Charlie passed away today. Obviously, it's a... T- hey, it, losing a dog's not fun. Well, no. We have two old puppers, man. We're, that is true. We're, I'm preparing for that mentally. It's going to be tough. But yeah, well... At anyway. least you don't you don't see him as much. <laughs> I'm still gonna be. Hey, I cried. Well, yeah, you'll when, still when, be upset. When, when Piper passed, man, I was. Well, yeah, that was that was tough. That was really tough. But but let's get into the, these 
nominees. So first of all, we have Ken Holland. He was a part of the four Stanley Cups with Detroit, three as the general manager. He was the assistant GM for the 97 team, if I'm not mistaken, or one of the assistants. That is true. He was an assistant, and then he basically, well, in, in the words of our, uh, our Aunt Pat, inherited the 98 team and won that one. Hey, he got Sergey to sign on the dotted line. Just remember that. He convinced Sergey to sign. Now, granted, the same way as Kyle Dubas got William to sign and Mitch Martin to sign, wax on, wax off. But yes, he was able to make it happen. That so, is fair. So, you know, Tyler, why why do you think that? What what is your opinion on Ken Holland getting this one? I uh, well, listen, he is. By the way, shout out to SPHL Rando for, for telling us that the Hall of Fame class of twenty twenty is quote unquote trash. Which that's a, that's not, not the worst take in the world. It could be worse, but I I like Kenny because what he was able to do, and I say. Because imagine this, the 98 team, sure, inherited with what you will. He didn't, you know, that was not his team that he built. 98, I get it. 2002, no salary cap, was able to literally take that team and just say, hey, Brett Hall, I mean, let's let's take a couple million off, but we're going to pretty much put a wing of the Hall of Fame. You could literally pick out the players that were on that team and how they were in the Hall of Fame and how good those guys were. They were, that was the best team ever assembled, ever. You're right. Matthew Danano should be in the Hall of Fame. Yes, you're right. And Frederick Dolison, <laughs> game three against Colorado. Overtime goal. <clears throat> no, I I mean, he deserves it because you want to know why? That oh, that 2008 team, and I'd love to have Thomas Biondo on for this. Matthew because, Dandano? No. What? Wait, you said he deserves it. No, I said Frederick Dolison. No, oh. Was, um, but I'd love to have Thomas <laughs> Biondo on because we had this argument once about oh boy. the 2008 team. Because that was Kenny Holland's team. That was his one team. I would say that's honestly his. Dotsuk, Zetterberg. I mean, those draft picks that were able to come up. Nicholas Cronwall. I mean, yeah, there were still a lot of veterans. And yes, you had Osgood. Phil Pula, you got. You had Phil Pula, those on that team that he drafted. Brought I, back. I know McCarty. Yuri Helder wasn't there. McCarty was able to get back in shape. That was a better team. That was him, him actually drafting his own team for the most part with a couple of veterans, albeit. So I give him credit for that one. And he was able to kind of get the Oilers. Now, yes, once again, he had a lot of talent there. He was able to put the right pieces in the right spot to get the Oilers team to where they are in the playoffs. And we'll talk a little bit about that later with Mr. Jack Michael. So I think Kenny deserves it in the Billers category, not for his goaltending career. That's for sure though. He was a goalie. Yeah. He played there with Iserman for like a year. And there's a reason why he was not the starter and the reason why he wasn't there long with the Red Wings. Fair enough. It's like me, bad goaltender, (laughs) a slightly better broadcaster emphasis on slightly. Fair enough. Uh, next we have Doug Wilson, who is the 1982 Norris trophy winner. He was Blackhawks all time defensive leader in goals with 225 assists with 554 and points. Uh, 779, 827 points in 1,024 games, 15th all-time among defensemen. I With Dougie Wilson, it's funny with him because he was able to put up about a point a game with the Hawks. I think he was close to a point a game in that 81-82 season when he won the Norris Trophy. I just The funny thing is about it is that he played on some horrendous Chicago Blackhawks teams. Everyone talks about how great those teams were in the 90s with Jeremy Roenick. Jeremy Roenick was king and Eddie Belfort. And Doug Wilson was 
almost part of it, but then he got transferred over to San Jose in that expansion draft. But he was there kind of building that team up to where it became in the 90s. Now, with the team that it was in the 80s, when they weren't even on television in their own market because of how bad they were, it was great to watch that team like how good he could have, how good he was, and how good he could have been had he played on a better team. So Dougie, and the fact that you put up those numbers on such a poor team just shows how good a defenseman he was. Next on, I'd say he's a good general manager, but then he signed <laughs> Kenny Ken or Ken Carlson, Eric Carlson for eleven million dollars. But that's neither here nor there. Next on the list, we have Kevin Lowe. He was the first draft pick of the NHL's Oilers, not to be confused with the WHA. The the Waha. The Waha. See that should see that would have been a great see that's why we were not alive in the seventies because we would have made dumb jokes like that on tube on tube TVs though where you had to change the dial sure if people haven't changed it already uh, <laughs> he was the first ever draft pick for the NHL's Edmonton Oilers he was the first Oiler to score a goal in the NHL Wayne Gretzky still said he tipped it but you know what if you had hey, if you beat Tony Esposito as your first goal in the NHL it's not bad Alex here's the thing Wayne Gretzky's the greatest of all time you can leave this he's one, the greatest the, offensive the play, greatest goal. offensive player of all time make sure you put that in there oh, no he is the great one for a reason hey 80, he, no 88 no, no, no. playoffs against Calgary he's on the penalty kill he's cherry picking at center ice who cares defensive coaches do guess what guess what Ready for this? You what? ready for this? What? Ready for this what? hot take? Ready for your hot take? What's your hot take, Alex? My hot take isn't really that hot because it's pretty lukewarm at best. He's the best. <laughs> there is a reason why right behind you, there is the Hal Gretzky exhibition that was at the Hockey Hall of Fame. You can't see which it. The second went, string leather thing made which in the way, I but went it's to, this thing. I looked at it, and you know what? You realize how good he was? You look at Gordie Howe. Then you look at Wayne Gretzky. Two completely different eras. You can't really compare the two at all. You but can't. when you go by purely by number, and by. purely by the numbers that Wayne Gretzky put up over the course of his entire career, and the effect that he had on the game, he is the greatest of all time. He was Michael Jordan before Michael Jordan was Michael Jordan. He is the Michael Jordan of hockey. Scratch that. Michael Jordan is the Wayne Gretzky of basketball. Boom, I said it. Kevin Lowe was a six-time Stanley Cup champion. <laughs> <laughs> also was the general. Oh, yeah, this year's Hall of Fame. By the way, sorry. Kenny, uh, so with Kevin Lowe, it's actually pretty cool, too, because, yeah, he was, able, he was able to help that 2016 and put that team together to get to the Cup Final. Now, yes, it was a weird year, and the Oilers after that Did came to fruition. Did you say 2016 fruition. or 2006? Did I say six? I, th- I, th- I think I'm, you said 16. Uh, that was the year they drafted McDavid, so that was definitely not a year they were building for the playoffs. No, 2006. 2006. I feel like I've said too much coffee today, so I'm just going to start saying words. Like, I've said you 10 said, three you've times. you said too much coffee today. Yes, you are done. <laughs> I am toast. We have enough. How much longer? Oh, good. We're 16 minutes in. Two hours and 14 minutes to go. Yeah, you. you good luck with this. Uh, you, me? You're uh, the host. Oh, yeah, Reel sure. me in. <laughs> Um, like like Tyler said, six-time Stanley Cup champion. He has coached and been the general manager of the Oilers, and he's currently the vice chairman of Oilers Entertainment Group. This is someone who... This, would, one, this one's probably the biggest... He, ble- most, he this, bleeds blue and orange. This one's the most scrutinized, and I'm glad we're going to get to the Jack Michaels interview later because I'm not going to get too far in. Because now why? Ja- why? Well, for, ja- those, for those at home who aren't too deep into it, why is Kevin Lowe... 
being scrutinized so much for being put in the Hall of Fame this year. It's beca- I mean, people think it's just because he was on Gretzky's team. It's almost like saying then Dave Semenko. People have been saying that, oh, then Dave Semenko should be in the Hall of Fame. And less Charlie Huddy should be in the Hall of Fame. Like those kind of players. And I'm just like, oh, okay, I get it. But he was still a capable defenseman. And he played on Paul Coffey's... Uh, he was his deep partner, Paul Coffey's deep partner. Right. And if you look at Coffey's plus minus numbers now, because analytics were not the hugest back in the eighties. Thank goodness, because goaltending numbers would have been just <laughs> awful. But the fact that Coffey's plus minus was so good as the guy that rushed the puck all the time and always jumped in the play, Kevin Lowe was always back there. Now, granted, there was the one highlight of Denny Savard undressing Kevin Lowe and having his jockstrap fly into the Chicago stadium. But I digress. Kevin Lowe has always been a really solid defenseman. But the thing is the fact that he was never statistically great. He's a seven-time All-Star, Alex. People forget that, too, though. It's almost... it's. I don't want to get into the Chris Housgood debate about this. Oh, boy. But he is very underappreciated for what he does, for what he did and what he still does with the Oilers today. Now, yes, he's not in a big role in hockey ops like he was when he was coaching, when he was GM. But he's still a guy that was able to do a lot with that organization, both on the ice and off the ice as well. And that's why I can't wait for Jack's interview later, because he had a really good take on why Kevin Lowe should be in the Hall of Fame. Why he deserves it. Correct. Next on the list, the guy that I don't really care for being in the Hall of Fame. Because, okay. Let me let me get there. Marion Hosa, three-time Stanley Cup champion, because you played on freaking good teams. 1,134 points in 1,309 games, which you should have played more as a Red Wing. First player to make it to the finals three consecutive years with three different teams because you're a traitor. So he's, okay. Hosa, on those Senators teams in the early 2000s, he was a guy that you said, I'm like, man, he's got to be something. There's Alfie, and then there was Hosa. Alfie was already the old guard. Alfredson, Daniel Alfredson I'm talking about, was the old guard. How exceptional of a player he was, what a Spezza leader he was. was. There that time, Spezza right? was not there. I think he may have just started in the 03 playoffs. Mm. I remember because he was, he was relatively new. So when it came time for him to jump up into the main lineup, he wasn't quite there yet. It was the 07 team that was really Spezza's team. Mm. But with Marion Hosa, where he was... He was just coming on. I remember he was a point-of-game player in 03. That is the height of the dead puck era. There's a reason why they had a lockout. Not because of money, Alex. It's because they needed to change the game and make it better. No, that's not the reason why. Obviously, we know the reason why for the work stoppage there in 04. But what he was able to do throughout his career, how he was able to adapt. He was in Atlanta. People forget when he was in Pittsburgh for that 08 final. He started in Atlanta. He was at the All-Star game in Atlanta representing Atlanta. And he was able, it was a deadline pickup by the Penguins, ended up working out, at least to get him to the finals. Doesn't work out, goes to Detroit thinking, hey, that team's going to be good. And that team, Alex, was one game away from winning another cup. But then he goes to Chicago, and Chicago was kind of in the middle of building that little dynasty. No one actually thought in 2010, though, they were actually going to win the thing. And then they did. And they only got, now, I wouldn't say they got better, because then 2011 happened, and 2012 happened, but then 13 happened. And then 14 almost happened, and then 15 happened again. And that's when Stan Bowman's like, salary caps, boys. We have to clean house. And the Hawks have not been the same since. See, but Hoss is a great player, though. I like he him. He is a good player. I will say that, yes, with he's won three Stanley Cups. He is the first player to make it to the finals three consecutive years with three different teams. That is... You know, he's an exceptional player. It's first in its history. And, well, don't, don't forget. And on paper, yes, he, 
over a thousand points in over a thousand games. Yes. Right. On paper, he deserves to be in the Hall of Fame. Or but, there is an argument that you could be had for it. Right. By the way, that S- being said, SPHL Rando says LeBron's better than MJ, but we don't need to get into that because we actually have to be on time today. Le- okay. First no, of no. all, <laughs> next, <laughs> next. Marion, because this was his first year that he was eligible, correct? Yes. Ever since he was able, when they had to retire, let him wait five years. If I was good as the, okay. So, so what you're telling me is there wasn't anybody that really stole the show that the the pool of who could have been selected and inducted in the Hall of Fame just wasn't full of enough pizzazz. Did you need so much controversy in the Hall of Fame inductee list this year because of the coronavirus and you don't have anything to talk about yet that you needed Marion Hosa? I have a Sharpie. Don't gonna, you do I'm going to poke you with the Sharpie. <laughs> I'm trying to calm you down here. If, it cal- if this Sharpie can calm you down... It's a very sharp sharpie. Look how sharp it is. It's a very sharp tip. I'm just saying. Great player. Good player. Great player. Contract player. That's it. Are you going to talk about Sergey Fedorov in that tone? I don't think you will. Well, hey, hey. now. Hold on. Kim St. Pierre. Kim St. Pierre is the next on the list. She is the first ever woman's goaltender to be elected into the Hall of Fame. She's a five-time World champion with four silvers, three-time Olympic gold medalist. Never th- never lost. Never lost in her three years. Now, granted, 2010 was Shannon Savotos, but still, she was on the team. She was good enough to make the team. 2011 Clarkson Cup champion with the, obviously, the CWHL, with the Montreal Stars. Career total, 1.17 goals against average and a .939 save percentage with Team Canada. That's pretty good numbers, I'd say. Is it just me, or is there a lot of Team Canada ladies that get in the hall first? There, well, of course, there's... Or is that just me? It's a lot because, don't forget how Canada would dominate through 98. Until the 98 Olympics, there was was really... Yes, there were players that were historic that built the women's game in the United States, but there was no one to be as as successful. I think what... Because Hillary Knight's going to be a Hall of Famer. And there's going to be a lot more players of from the American caliber after 98 that'll be in the Hall of Fame eventually. Right now, they're only doing one at a time. I believe that next year there should be some builders. I believe there should be some consideration for builders. And that's one of the things they're admitting. That's why I'm glad they're starting to get into it. Yeah, why don't you have two per year? I It's because they have a certain set number. Hey, listen, I don't have Lanny McDonald's number. I can't ask him hey, about that. I, all I'm saying is you got, what, one, two, three, four, five, six people, right? Six people, including well, yes, we'll mention six though, people. You only had you originally had six teams in the NHL. If that's the reason why you keep that number, great. But you know what? Times are changing, and people deserve to be in the Hall of I Fame. I believe I totally because because here's the thing. But there's we just can't, not a lot of players haven't re- forever, right? Sometimes because then every single year it's going to be the case of. Oh, you know, this person should have got in there because of blank, blank, blank. And he, you know, he or she should have been in over, over this person like me with Marion Hosa. Why didn't Chris Osgood get in? Don't start with that. It's a valid conversation to have. But the main event of the evening, Drome Aginla, 625 goals, 675 assists, 1,000. 300 points in 1,554 
games. Sorry, I was trying to reenact. I was trying to reenact Sidney Crosby there for a second. 2002 Art Ross Trophy winner, 2002 and 2004 Rocket Richard Trophy winner. He's a two-time WHL two champion time. with the Kamloops squad over there. Kamloops Blazers. Yes. I don't think he had to wear the Cooperalls. God bless it. He is a quadruple gold club member. 2002 and 2010 Olympic gold. 1996 World Junior Championship gold. 1997 World Championship gold. And 2006 World Cup of Hockey gold medal. And NHL 2002 cover. 2003. Was it 2003? 2003, yep. That was was the year after he got the Art Ross and he scored over 50 goals. He was such a big part of that. Like, I, obviously, the 2010, it's famous because he was part of the golden goal. But people forget that he, I think he had two goals in that gold medal game. Was it two or just, I think he had one or two. Jerome McGinley was such a big part. It was such a, like, of, if you look at that 2002 team, how old that team was. McGinnis, Nolan, Lemieux, Lindros, Iserman, Flurry, Theo Flurry. I love Theo. Wasn't Shanahan on that team? Shanahan. That is true. Shanahan. Marty Berdour. Their goaltending was 100 years old combined. Marty Berdur, Curtis Joseph, Patrick Waugh. Oh, yeah. When you have three goalies, that's and not really that hard. 120 years old combined. You want me to over-exaggerate? They're 300 years old apiece. Oh, God. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is he was one of the younger players on that team, and he played such a huge role for them and was able to convert. And that's what made him, like, shot him into stardom. Not just in Calgary, not just in Canada, but across the league. And that's why he's such a great player. It's amazing to look at how his game was able to evolve. When he first came in, it was shoot, score, shoot, score, shoot, score. You give him the C, though, he became more than that. He became the leader on the ice, off the ice, was always there, always knew what to say, always friendly with the media from all the stories I have heard. I heard him on 31 Thoughts podcast a couple weeks ago. I remember they asked him about it, too, and he's like, oh, that'd be great, you know, but, you know, trying to be all humble hockey player about it. I'm sure he was just elated as anyone that would, that he got the call of the Hall of Fame in his first year, and it's greatly deserved because, I mean, there's really no better player than a guy like Jerome McGinley to get in. And with the, the amount of points he scored, the amount of goals he scored, he was going to be in the Hall of Fame eventually, whether it had been his first year, his next year, who knows. But I'm just glad that he's in because, well, it would have been a shame, Alex. It would have been a dying shame. It would have been a darn shame. Anyone that you think should be in yet, except the, the exception of Chris Osgood, who can you see him? Yeah, you can see, you can see his pads. He's over there. It's behind the TKS logo. That have, is a good question. Should I lower that poster next week so people can see Chris Osgood? I don't think they really care. I care. <laughs> then again, you're you're so nitpicky about everything. I'm superbly nitpicky. That's why you produce. The I show. think my heart's finally starting to get down to close to 100 beats per minute. Are you sure? Hold on. Yeah, I'm not waiting that long. I just need like 10 seconds. It's about 115. <laughs> sure. That was. A great it's, guess. It's not. I'm pretty sure people could have watched it and seen my chest come flying out of my leaf shirt here. Just by the way, if you're listening to this show, I'm wearing my leaf shirt today. Yeah, and, and I my leaf smug is just sitting right in the front. So everyone's like, "Where's your allegiance?" Well, Alex has got his Bob. You can't see because yeah. your laptop's in the way. He's got his Bob and Doug shirt on. Bob and Doug McKenzie. Bob and Doug McKenzie. And for all those young kids out there, not Bob McKenzie of TSN. Bob and Doug of the Great White North. How's it going, eh? Cool, 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 cool. That one. Now, Ty, shall we go to a commercial break? I think we should because we need to get ready for our interview. We do. We have the interview with Ken Cal coming up here on The Keel Show.
to start the music now. All right, now joining us here on the Keel Show is someone who we've listened to since well, pretty much probably birth. More, more, with more or less. Growing up in Michigan and watching hockey. He is the longtime radio play by play voice of the Detroit Red Wings. Ladies and gentlemen, Ken Cal on the show today. <laughs> Ken, how Hi, you? Tyler. How you doing today? We are doing good, Tyler and Alex here on the Keel Show. First time ever. And of course, we needed a big guest like yourself, Ken. First of all, Ken, how are you doing through all of this? It sounds like it's a it's an okay time, and but this coronavirus has been a little funny for everybody. Well, it certainly is, and you just don't know uh, from day to day, you know, what's going to happen. I guess you can do all the planning you want in the world, but uh, it seems like it just changes every day, and you know, that's one of those things where you just got to play it day by day, and you know, hopefully, the the season will will come to an end with a. a Stanley Cup playoff champion, the playoff round and round or two, and then uh, get ready for the Red Wings season. So, you know, uh, with the Red Wings, we're just uh, waiting it out and seeing what's going to happen, and hopefully we can have some hockey soon. Now, I mean, obviously the Red Wings aren't in the playoffs, unfortunately, but with, with the, the talk that is about uh, maybe some of the hub cities, what, what, what is one that you would think that maybe isn't uh, one of the top runners up that you would probably like to see a lot of hockey played in i know vegas is one of them and i probably as a player being in las vegas for an extended period of time may be pretty nice but what what, what would you think would be a, a good city city to be in if you were a player and you have to be there for say you know a month or two well if it's up to me right now i'd say detroit heck we got two <laughs> ice surfaces right a little caesar's arena we got a practice arena we've got uh you know the big sheet of ice and the, the COVID is down in the state of Michigan now, so if, if I had a vote, it would be here in Detroit, but that's not going to happen. The league, I think, already has uh, whittled it down to maybe six, seven venues, and you know they're going to take their time and, and really take, take a look at you know what, what venues will be suited for the players and the players' health, and, and then they'll uh, determine which, which two venues that'll be at. But, you know, again, uh, I, w- I wish it would be here in Detroit because um, not that the fans would be able to attend, but it would certainly be nice to have uh, playoff action here in the Motor City. But, um, you know, Vegas, I hear, I just, I just had a neighbor that went to Vegas last week, and she said it was a ghost town. And, you <laughs> wow. know, maybe that's good. Maybe, maybe that uh, there's not a lot of people there that'll be good, and they can keep the players in a bubble. But, again, it's all about player safety, player health, uh, testing every couple of days. And if they can get that down pat, then everything's going to be good, and we'll have some hockey again. Yeah, I'm sure that the NHL has their uh, regulations and the different – you know, things that they're trying to make the sure. The health government, the yeah. CDC and all that, yeah. All that good stuff. Now, with the, I would say, not a lack of news, but a very select amount of news that the NHL and the hockey world has been able to toy around with, what is your initial reaction to the draft lottery results from this past Friday? Um, you know what, I... I, I, I'm, I have nothing against the Red Wings picking fourth. I, I think that uh, when you have a lottery system, um, you know, it's, it's, all, it's how the numbers break out. I know there's a lot of people that are upset because Detroit or Ottawa didn't get the number one pick, but, you know, that's what happens when you have the lottery. I guess I'm a little surprised that the teams with the best odds didn't get the number one pick, and that's Detroit and the Ottawa Senators. And uh, the best spot that those two teams got was three and that was uh, the Ottawa Senators and the Red Wings jumped to four so they got pushed back a little bit. I guess with that said though, uh, I'm not very, I guess, happy with 
the way the lottery is run in the fact that there's going to be a team that's going to be in the postseason, uh, and, and one of those teams is going to get the number one pick overall. And, and the way I feel about it is that anytime you're in the postseason, whether you're in the playoffs or play in games because of this COVID situation, if you're not invited to the dance, you shouldn't be eligible for the number one pick in the draft. That should be for the teams that are not qualified to play in the tournament or the Stanley Cup playoffs or the play-in games. And it just makes sense because the purpose of the draft, guys, is to make the uh, the weaker team stronger, to be right. more competitive. It's worked like that for years, and I don't see why it should change right now. And it just surprises me that you know the, the Pittsburgh Penguins, the Toronto Maple Leafs, if they lose out in the play-in games, they have a good possibility, a good shot at getting the number one pick. And to me, that's not fair. And and I can remember that when uh, the Pittsburgh Penguins almost lost their franchise, and then uh, because they were so bad, and then the next thing you know, they drafted Fleury, the goaltender, Crosby, Malkin, mm-hmm. Stahl. Next thing you know, they're they're a great team, and they've been a great team for a number of years. So I, I just don't think in that regard it's fair, and I just think that the number one pick should go to one of the teams that that uh, aren't involved in the play-in games or the the postseason at all. Now, I th- I'm, I'm pretty sure, obviously, as you being the radio play-by-play for the Wings, you probably were able to you know, see or at least hear what um, S- Steve Eisenman was able to say in reaction to the, the lottery pick and getting fourth there. I mean, do you think that uh, that was very, I would say, stock Eisenman kind of answer, or do you think that he might have been a little bit, of a, a little bit upset behind the scenes and maybe just you know, trying to calm everybody down as he does? No, I don't know. I just think that, uh, you know, coaches and general managers look at it one way. And, and the way you look at it is you don't make excuses. If if you're if you get the number four pick, you got the number four pick, and then you have to figure out what you're going to do from there. And, you know, there's no sense of, of crying about not getting a number one pick or a number two pick. You can be disappointed all you want. But, you know, the way Steve approached it is the way I think a lot of people approach it, and that's the fact that, you know, they're going to get a good player no matter what. This is a very deep draft. And uh, there's some good talent that's available for the Red Wings, and I'm sure they're going to go for the best player at that position when it comes time to draft the player. So we'll take it from there. But again, you know, there's not much you can do about it now. Um, I mean, you can complain all you want; it's not going to get you anywhere. But you got to right. be—you got to do the best of what you can do with what you get. And I, like I said before, uh, it doesn't bother me that the Red Wings got the fourth spot in the lottery. Sure, we'd like to see him get higher, but that wasn't the case, but they're going to get a solid uh, prospect in, in the process. Well, I mean, it makes sense. Their GM was only drafted fourth overall back in 1983, so of course he's comfortable with picking fourth. That's where he got picked. But <laughs> Exactly. But, Ken, let's get to your story here because your story is interesting because I've talked to a lot of people that have you know known you for some time, and you're it's so interesting because a lot of people that don't know that are kind of younger that know you as the voice of the Red Wings – Forgot that you were actually the voice of the Michigan Wolverines hockey team before coming to Detroit. Tell us how you got that start with Michigan and how that led you, put you on a road to come to Detroit and call for the Wings. Well, it actually happened by accident, to be honest with you. When I graduated from from college at Wayne State, I did an internship at WNIC Radio. And my last day, I think it was in June of 79, was the last day of uh, an on-air personality by the name of Doug Hamilton. And he took a job 
had a radio station in Ann Arbor to be the program director, and so he hired me to board op or engineer University of Michigan football games. And there were three three stations that were broadcasting University of Michigan football back then, and WAAM was the station that I worked for. And so he hired me to to um, board up those games, and uh, he said, if if you do a great job at the end of the football season, I'll give you a weekend on-air shift. And, you know, all I wanted was some on-air time, obviously, to get some experience. So I did that for a couple of years, and then in 1984 – that's when the University of Michigan hired Red Berenson as their head hockey coach, and our station got the rights to to broadcast Michigan hockey. And the sports director was Jeff DeFran, who works locally now at uh, 950 uh, WWJ in Detroit. He called me up and he said, hey, look, Ken, he goes, uh, we have an opening to do hockey. And, and at the time, I was covering the Red Wings, and I really liked hockey. And he said, how would you feel about doing uh, you know, broadcasting the games. And I said, well, I really never broadcast a game before, but I'll give it a, a shot. So I was five games into it at Michigan, and I went to our program director, Skip Deagle, uh, not Jeff, who was our sports director. And I said, Skip, I said, I, I can't follow the play. Uh, I'm having a hard time with this. Maybe you should get somebody else. And that's what he told me. He says, Ken, he says, you're bad. He said, but the team's bad. And he says, as you get better, the team will get better and we'll have a good product. So I don't know if he was telling the truth or if he just didn't have anybody that wanted to take the job, but I stuck it out and, and just worked at it, got better. And for 11 years, I was the voice of University of Michigan hockey. And then after 11 years, Bruce Martin retired and I applied for the job. There was about, I don't know, 350 applicants. Uh, they whittled it down to a few broadcasters. And fortunately, after having an interview with Mr. Illich, he hired me as the voice of the Red Wings. So in a nutshell, that's how it all worked out. How painful was it? I will ask, I mean, I don't say painful, but your first year with the Red Wings, they win 62 games. On the other end, though, Michigan finally wins a national championship. Was that mm. was that a little a little salty there for you, Ken, to see? I mean, obviously, you got to see that program grow to a national powerhouse, but was it a little off for you to see them actually win after you left? Yeah, it was. And, and But you know what? Um, I always wanted to work in the National Hockey League, and for the opportunity to broadcast Detroit Red Wing games, that was the top of my list. And, you know, so so I came in, and, and they won 62 games, and that was quite the season. I thought they were going to win a Stanley Cup. That's how good they were, but they didn't. And then two years later, they won the Cups. But it was, uh, like, I, I, I started at Michigan when Red started, and, again, the program was in shambles. Like, Red had to build that program up, and each and every year they got better and better and better. And as they were, you know, getting to, you know, close to winning a national championship, that's when the opportunity to go to the Red Wings, uh, you know, opened up. So I, I jumped at the opportunity and was lucky enough to get the job. But on the other hand, I was happy for Al Randall, who is the broadcaster. He's been a there since I left and he's done a real good job with the University of Michigan so really happy that he had the opportunity to call that, that championship. And and like like you mentioned, you know, you you get to Detroit, you're hired by um Mr. Illich and like you said, you know, a couple of short years after getting the job, you're already calling, you know, Stanley Cup Finals games in 97 and 98. The very well famous, very well known. If you're anywhere near Detroit hockey, back to back Stanley Cups. How? What was that kind of experience like? Being, I wouldn't say like right off the bat, but in a short time, just being thrown onto this huge stage of calling Stanley Cup final games 
and really feeling that electricity that was, you know, just swarming through Joe, Joe Lewis arena and, you know, just that phenomenal atmosphere that I can only imagine, you know, would be from being behind a mic in that scenario. Well, you know, what's amazing is that I never really thought of it. You just go out there and you do your job and it just so happened that the Red Wings were winning a lot of games and then the championships come and, and you're just, you don't have time to think obviously until, until the season's over with. So yeah, I mean, when you look back at it now, you go, wow, those were three exciting years, 62 wins and back-to-back Stanley Cup championships. And the team was so good for so many years. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's mind-boggling really when you think of it. Um, you know, I, I, you know, I grew up in Detroit. I'm a native Detroiter. Uh, I was a Red Wing fan ever since I was, you know, small, four, five, six years old. I remember my dad bought me a tape recorder, and I used to tape Bruce Martin and Bud Lynch off the radio and television, and run around the house and start calling play by play. And uh, you know, I told my dad at 10 years old I wanted to be the the Red Wing announcer one day. And you know, I've been very fortunate because not many broadcasters grow up in a state or in a city and get the call, the university of Michigan, and then get to call your hometown team. It just doesn't happen. And, you know, I've been very blessed in the fact that I didn't have to travel anywhere else. The Red Wings are my team. Michigan was my team. And those, you know, to be able to call those two hockey programs, I mean, it's just a feather in the cap, I guess. And again, just very fortunate that everything seemed to work out and I could stay here and keep my roots in Detroit and not go anywhere else. Which which of those the back to back teams ninety seven and ninety eight obviously both had great stories. Which team, which season I guess was more memorable for you, Ken? Oh, that's a good question because uh, all four Stanley Cup championships that I call were different in a variety of ways. And the ninety seven team, what I remember, it, they really didn't have a really terrific regular season compared to the, the year before when they won sixty two games. It was. You know, it was I don't know how many wins they had. I know they had a hundred points, but it wasn't nearly like the the team that uh, they had in '95 and you know '96. But um, you know, they they found a way come playoff time to get over the mountain and and win the Stanley Cup. And then the 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 cup drive in '98, it was all for Vladdy and Sergei Manapsikanov after the car accident, and the the team seemed to play for a purpose. So. To be able to see Vladimir Konstantinov on the ice and and the Red Wings giving him the Stanley Cup in Washington, that's a thrill that I'll always remember and never forget. But again, I think that first one was special to me because it's kind of funny because when I grew up in Detroit, I always wanted to see the Red Wings win a Stanley Cup just like I want to see the Lions win a Super Bowl. And and little did I know that growing up, the next guy that was going to call the Stanley Cup championship was was me. <laughs> so not only did I want to see him win, but I was the one that actually called it. So that's pretty special in its own in its own right, and um, just a lot of great memories. The 2002 team was a team that were were loaded with superstars, Hall of Famers, and then the uh, 2018. Just uh, a great bunch of guys that re- worked really hard. Ozzy had a terrific playoff run then, and uh, the team really played well. Yeah, I mean, we mentioned just a few minutes ago that I still have Chris Osgood in my office here on the set of the Kula Show. But like you said, 2008 stands as the last cup in Motown. But obviously, as great the playoffs were, and that series against Pittsburgh was memorable, it's game six that is always the most memorable because not just for, you know, the wings winning the cup, but for you, Ken, in particular, you just came off game <laughs> five where it was a triple overtime game. I stayed up all night to only be disappointed to watch Peter Sikora score for the pens. 
and then the morning of game six. Ken, take us through that day through the eyes of Ken Cal. Well, you know, just going back to game five, and, and you know, if, I, if I'm wrong with this recollection, make sure you correct me, but I, I remember that the Red Wings had the lead with about 30 seconds to go, and we were really counting it down just because the Red Wings should have won the, the cup on home ice, and then uh, they scored the goal, right, to tie it up, and yep. then it went into triple overtime, and they won. Is, is that correct? Yeah, that was Maxime Talbot tying up, and I remember Holmstrom oh. had that great chance in front of the net, too. Yeah, and uh, so I, I just remember everybody, they had the locker room all set up for interviews and everything, and with 30 seconds to go, there was going to be overtime. Everybody, this I'm here in the second hand, but everybody went to the Red Wing locker room, and there was chaos in there because they had to tear everything out of there because because they didn't win the cup, right? So, yeah, that was pretty disappointing, but, yeah, it was a long game, uh, and then the next day was a travel day. We went to uh, Pittsburgh, and I just felt that something wasn't right. Like, um, I don't know if I was catching a cold or something, but something just wasn't right. And then the morning of game six, I woke up in the middle of the night and I couldn't talk. And uh, I, I was panicking a little bit and I'm going like, well, let's give this some time. Maybe by eight or nine in the morning, it'll get better, but it just got worse. And so I had to um, email uh, my boss over at the radio station and they brought Ken Daniels in to do the game and um, <laughs> Kenny, to this day, I, st- I still say he should have called the final 11 or 12 or 15 seconds just because of the fact that you know he did the game. And as a TV guy, you never get the opportunity to call history, I guess, because you're done after the first round. The radio guys get an opportunity to go all the way. But when he threw it to me, I think I only had about 15 seconds of voice left. And, and what a thrill it was because Pittsburgh almost tied it up. Puck went through the crease after Osgood made a great save, and um, the Red Wings won the Stanley Cup. But I think I had so much, just enough voice to get through it, and uh, everything worked out. Everyone talks about, you know, great, you know, com- like overcoming adversity, like, you know, Bobby Bond in the 64 finals against Detroit scoring on a broken leg, Michael Jordan with the flu game, as we've learned now, is the food poisoning game. No one ever talks about the laryngitis game, Ken. I can't believe it. <laughs> Well, you know, I'm not a player, and I think if it was a player that had some, like you said, Bobby Bond breaking the leg, uh, it'd be a little bit different. But, um, you know, it's just it was a thrill just being there. And uh, the other thing I remember about 2008 was after we won and we celebrated in Pittsburgh, uh, we had two two planes. One carried the, the players, and then the other carried the broadcasters and, and uh, team members uh, and everything else. And we flew back to the airport hangar, and when we got back, uh, all the people that worked for the Red Wings in every capacity threw us a big party. They decorated the hangar, and we we were there all night long partying, and it was just a it was just a lot of fun and and really a nice welcome after the team won the Stanley Cup. Now, one of those people that was obviously at the party that you guys were up all night. Well, at, we think we're just going to assume we, we, we was can there. assume we can assume was general manager Ken Holland, who obviously at this point is working for the Oilers, but was with the Wings organization for quite a long time and with this year being inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame as uh, in the builders category. You know, what what is your reaction to that? And, you know, what's what's one of the memorable moments that you had, you know, possibly in a conversation that you had with Mr. Holland? Uh, just a great guy to work for, really. And, and um, you know, I, I just can tell you, like, he loves hockey and he loves watching hockey. And 
we would go out on the road, and he'd always invite us, the broadcasters, to and the coaches, to to go out and watch games, you know, at a local establishment. And uh, we always felt part of the team, and and a big part of that was because of Kenny. And and I just remember being on the road, and and he'll pull you aside. Next thing you know, you're talking for an hour, an hour and a half about hockey, and and uh, you know, just to pick his brain and see what he's trying to think of, and you know, he's just. A terrific guy, you know. He was a he's a terrific human being, uh, a really good general manager. He's always two or three or four steps ahead of the game. He's terrific at numbers, um, and and just to be able to, you know, be with him all the time, and 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 you could always go up to him. the door was always open with Ken. You could go up to him and ask him if you have any questions, or or you know he'd answer uh, questions about the league. So, you know, he he really really was a great general manager here and uh, no surprise at all that that he was in the hockey hall of fame well deserved and uh, rightly deserved too once again we've been talking here with ken cow the legendary play-by-play voice of the detroit red wings on the detroit red rings red wings radio network with paul woods ken it's been a pleasure talking to you we appreciate you taking the time to come on the cool show with us today hopefully we hear you and paul woods voice coming sooner rather than later once again thank you for coming on the show tonight well, pleasure having me. Thank you very much. And uh, when we get going again, make sure you give me a call and we'll talk some Red Wing hockey, all right? Absolutely, Sounds sir. Sounds good, Ken. All right, Ken, we'll talk all to right. you later. And thank you once again, folks. We'll be right back with more of the Keel Show here on 12 Ounce Sports Network. And we are back. Now, back, back again. Shady's back. Tell a friend. Wait, wait, actually, wait, wait, actually, draft lottery. As long as we're singing it, as long as we don't actually play it, we cannot get flagged on Facebook, right? Uh, we can. It just has to be not very good in tune. So as long as we do, guess who's back? My gosh, remind me my econ teacher from high school. And first of all, thank you once again, Ken Cal, for coming on the show today. I think that went well. I mean, he's the best broadcaster on the phone, so he <laughs> was better than ever, better than both of us. That's for sure. I ain't a broadcaster. Well, hey, you no, hey, you it depends have, on what sport. Let's say lacrosse and slightly hockey analyst. That's where the whenever, and, That's why, yeah. folks. I wish we had the video. Thankfully, it's been destroyed though. What whenever video? you hear him say "phenomenal," when you're you're broadcasting, oh, phenomenal. Be, where the term why <laughs> why there's such a big deal about the word phenomenal? <laughs> Quick story before we get to this. We are doing our first... Uh, so I was doing my first year of Davenport, Davenport ACHA hockey. When where Ken says that he did was bad in the first five games, I was bad for the first season. So Ken's a little bit better. Then again, he's probably going to... A gonna, little bit? He's probably going to be a Hall of Famer, a Hall of Fame broadcaster. Alex's first game, he doesn't do actual color commentary. He just does in between periods because he was a student worker doing camera. Mm-hmm. And it's against Grand Valley, was it not? Was it, uh, was it, D, it was D3. I think so. Yeah, because Grand Valley was wearing their blacks, yep, their black uniforms. So I bring him on, and I was asking about, was it a goaltender? Was it something like that? There was a play that was made, and I w- went on this whole show. I'm like, Alex, what do you think about that play? I'm like, that was a pretty good play, wasn't it? And what does he say? Yep, yep. phenomenal. phenomenal. <laughs> <laughs> and that is where Phenomenal was born. Literally, yep. we should have called this the Phenomenal Hockey Show. Uh, well, I think that would have been false advertising. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been incredibly false advertising. 
Once again, we're here on the 12 Ounce Sports Network. Tyler Kuehl, Alex Kuehl. Wait, hold on. You're supposed to be hosting. I'm the host. What do you think you're doing? Well, you're just over here just saying phenomenal. Wait, hold on. I, I sidetracked there. Yeah, there you go. Tangents. And tangerines. That's my. That's our thing here. We're not actually about staying on track. We're trying to because we're actually on time constraints because we're here till 830 tonight here on 12 Ounce Sports before we send it over to Talking Miners with the rando at 830 here on 12 Ounce Sports Network. And... Yeah, we got to. We probably should get to the next topic before I forget about it. What's draft that? lottery? Yeah, that we, we talked ha- about it briefly. But briefly, I got my own words. Got my two cents. You have my words? twelve ounces of opinion, if you will. Well, this is a little bit bigger than twelve ounces, Alex. I got water here. It looks like it's about twenty. Yeah, well, we su- say twenty-seven ounces. We That's supported, right. you know, West Michigan business with going to Bigby before we started doing the show that is 24 ounces that is a little bit bigger than 12 we have double the 12 allowance. it's 12, 12 instead ounce. of phenomenal it's super <gasps> they should come out with a 32 or 32 ounce cup they did they used to but and then supersize the me happen it's the it's the phenomenal the phenomenal can i have a phenomenal teddy it's bear small grande super phenomenal you never would have guessed it I think Never would have guessed it. I think we need to... Does that mean we have to have Starbucks have another size, too? But I don't know what length... What, what's phenomenal in Spanish? What? Well, if it's... if they, well, cause they have, like, the venti, and then, you know, you got to have it... It's got to be phenomenal in Spanish. I, I think they should just be like Starbucks and make it... make Just make up a word. Buxy. Phenomenally. Sure. Indubitably. Inconce- an inconceivable so, size. So... Draft lottery. The draft lottery. So we briefly talked about it with Ken. Briefly talked about it before. We'll talk about it. Actually, I don't remember talking about it. We're talking about, about it yet. now. So here's what happened. Talk about it. Friday night. The only hockey news going out there. The draft lottery. It's I a big deal. I literally chose not to watch it just because I knew that something like this would happen. The Red Wings. I, fin- thought, it, I thought it was going to be a thir- the third pick. The third overall pick. And be like, Detroit gets fourth. And then the person in front of them is like, I don't know, Toronto. It was going to be a playoff team. Yeah. Not the first overall pick. Mm-hmm. The Red Wings finished the regular season before the pause 17, 49, and 5. After Friday night, they are now 17, 50, and 5 after losing the lottery. Everyone lost the lottery. Detroit cannot win. As I said before, you could combine all four major sports teams and you would get a half of good athletics. After that, it's exactly what happens. Good athletics. I, I can't good, say... How about half of a good sports team? Good sports team. Sports ball. Sports ball. The Lions would have done three quarters and failed. The Red Wings... Actually, the Red Wings, they compete a little bit every so often. They if just, you combine all sports of Michigan, at least you'll get five. Well, yeah, because, I mean... You Grand know, Rapids is pretty... Well, Michigan can get a win here and there. State will beat non-conference teams in football, just not Big Ten teams. Basketball. Western's pretty good. Well, no, I'm saying Michigan's not pretty as good. good. Michigan's pretty good. But... Not the, as good as when they just, were on the boat. When I heard, okay, you didn't even go to school there. Then again, I say I was going to. I know, and I was going to go to Ferris. Yet, I'm probably one of the biggest Ferris supporters out there. Yeah. Going to Ferris to play hockey. Doesn't play hockey. <laughs> nope. Hey, I went to Canada. Canada. Here we go. Lucknow, Ontario. Shout out to my folks there. The Lancers, great town. Draft lottery. I can't believe that. It's funny how the Senators had two chances at the first overall pick and failed. Is that a bigger loss? No, because they still get two top dra- five picks, two first round draft picks in the top five. One of which, well, they, I think they, they got they have, basically they have three. They actually have three in the top five, not in the top no. five. They have three in the first round. Well, yes, but or in our good in friends the, at capfriendly.com. in the top five, though, they have two. The 
third pick, or excuse me, it was the, no, it was the third pick. Yeah, because it went the, you know, the team so, yeah, that no, is Ottawa, to be Ottawa, determined. Ottawa, Ottawa's pick that they got from San Jose in the Eric Carlson contract, yeah. Eric Carlson so, trade, is the third overall pick. So, and they have the fifth pick with Detroit jammed in the middle. The, the top draft picks, the f- top one that's going to be Lafreniere, let's be completely honest with ourselves here, goes to the mystery placeholder team. Which could be one of any of the teams that lose in the first round. Correct. Now, what we don't know, Alex, is that we don't know how that's going to work with Phase 2 coming around. It has not been announced yet because obviously you have to wait for the play-in round to con- commence. But if it sits as what everyone conceives it to be, it's going to be a one-eighth chance, which is almost just, I'll take those chances. In the words of Mr. Incredible, we'll get there when we get there. You give the, me you meet just twelve and a half percent chance to get Alexi Lafreniere. You're darn right we're getting swept in that play in round. The second pick went to the Los Angeles Kings. Number three went to, like we said, Ottawa. Number four, Detroit. Number five, Ottawa again. Six, Anaheim. Seven, New Jersey. Buffalo gets eight. I will say this right now. If Edmonton gets swept by Chicago, the fix is oh in. Oh my god. The fix is in. Oh my god. Ken Holland's going to look like a genius and he doesn't okay. have to do anything. <laughs> All right, boys, we're getting laugh right here. McDavid, hey, hey Ken you Holland are- does not sound like that. <laughs> All right, boys. <laughs> All right. All right, boys. I got some grits on the stove. We're going to get LaFrontier. Okay, what do you want me to do? Try to actually do a Ken Holland accent and completely butcher, or I can just give him a completely fake accent. Or you could just talk about what's going to happen, possibly, and stop. Vancouver <laughs> loses to Minnesota in five games. Elias Patterson, Alexi Lafreniere. Oh my gosh. Please. Dude, Brock Besser, Elias Patterson, Alexi Lafreniere, line one. No. Quinn Hughes. No. With Tyler Myers on his right no. side for no reason. No. And Jacob Markstrom. No. Backed up by Mikey DiPietro. No. He jumps Demko next year. No. Calling it. Not going to happen. My boy Matthew Zator out there in Vancouver. Wait, is that West? No. That's West. I forgot how this works. That's West. That's West. That's West. There you go. So through the camera. Oh, boy. This is going to be a long night, and we're what? Oh, hey, we're an hour through. Yay, here we go. Almost done. <laughs> but no. So a lot of people have had mixed reviews of this entire thing. And here's my 12 ounces about it. You're doing a great job plugging this, by the way. You're welcome. Me? This? Thank them. Thank the people that are providing this. The network. I'm saying welcome to you for doing a good job. What have I done? I've just rambled on and my heart's finally... I said you're welcome, not thank you. You can't take credit for everything. Ty. I will take credit for it just because... My 12 ounces on this. It's disgusting. No team that should make the playoff, even if it's a 24-team playoff, I don't even care if it's... Obviously, if you're about if, to say 30, I'm about to say, what do you mean? Just I give it gonna, to the odd team out? I was just going to say, if it was a you know a 32-team league with Seattle being in there, obviously. Just get everyone in the playoffs. If, Everybody gets to play. Like high school hockey. Like Ken again. said, the reason why the draft lottery was set up was to give the teams that are not doing so hot the best chance to succeed. Therefore, getting the best young talent that... The juniors, collegiate, and overseas have to offer. That being said, I'm not saying that a team will throw games because that's illegal. But if you just so happen to lose, for my example, for example, you know, you're a Leaf supporter. 
I'm a Carolina Hurricane supporter. You're not even in this. <laughs> They're both in the playoffs. Well, Carolina could get swept, though. That's the thing. I'm just saying. A playoff team should not be allowed to get this pick. Period. End of story. Period? Period. Are you sure? That being said, why was this allowed? We, I said it, you know, behind camera. I don't know if we talked about, if I ever said it on the show directly, when we were going through how the draft lottery was going to be set up, where teams that are in the playoffs could get this, could get the first pick or even a top five pick, you know, no less. This doesn't make sense, guys. This makes dollars, not sense. If you don't make dollars, you don't make sense. Well, you can make sense. You just 99 Work retail, or less. buddy. There's no sense, but there's only dollars. Anyways. No. What? <laughs> I'm frustrated because teams that deserve these picks due to how it's designed originally should be getting these picks. If Los Angeles gets this first round pick, if basically if we shifted everyone up one, I'm okay with it. Even if I'm not an LA Kings fan, it's because Dude, they they're were get not Byfield. Dude, they <laughs> yes, it's <laughs> not. It's not Andre Kopitar, Dustin Brown, Quentin Byfield. You'll still have a chance. You'll still have a chance. Not Jonathan Quick though. Actually, that's yeah, you're right. Shoot, but to if that out. the first line of one of these possibly stacked teams, for example, Toronto. William Nylander, or excuse me, okay, Marner. I don't want the Leafs Marner, to get it because in three years, Alex, the contract situation. Marner, Matthews, Lafreniere. That's a lot of mo- Alex. It's forty million dollars. <laughs> hey, guess what? Chicken butt. During that ELC, it'll not be too bad. So you're telling me we have to win in three years if we draft Lafreniere? If the Leafs honestly get swept, Columbus, because I listen, Columbus fans, love you guys. The cannon, it's okay, whatever. The Leafs should win. Should. But he knocked on wood, by the way. I, of course I did. I'm superstitious as anything else. Which is dumb, but continue. Oh, stop it. But my thing is that why would you, if they, like I said, if they get swept, I'm just going to say it flat out here on the show that Monday after the show here on 12 on sports, I'm going to say it and say they did it on purpose. They, they literally threw the series to get Lafreniere. So you ha- it means you have to win in three years. If you want to put all that pressure on yourselves, Dubas, go for it. If you want to go for it, hey, sell all the pigs, get all the farm. Let's do this. We don't need Here's the thing. Would you be going for it or would you not be going for it because you're trying to lose? You wouldn't be going for it this year, but the next three years you have to win because guess what, Alex? You'll have to get rid of Marner. You'll have to get rid of Matthews. You'll have to get rid of the concessions. You'll have to get rid of the beer vendors. You don't want to do that because that's where all of your money comes from because you won't be able to afford it if you want Lafreniere. Well, that's not where all the money comes from, but continue. Well, who is going to pay for it? Because trust me, $15 a beer, it definitely has to pay for someone's contract. Sponsors. Sponsors. Yes, you're right. Right guard on the back of a Zamboni pays for Mitch Marner's endorsement deals. It helps. <laughs> it's still the best. I'll be honest. That's one of the most clever advertisements out there. Put like a, an upside down you know, deodorant stick on the back of a Zamboni. Make it look like it's spreading it across the ice. It's, it's, funny. it's funny. If you've never been, I don't know if it is for NHL games, not in Detroit, but in Toronto, they take off the board signs in between periods. It's so you always wonder how corporate Toronto is. They have board different advertisements on the boards for almost every period. Well, yes, it's because incredible. they have a lot of sponsors. Yes. And they have to figure out how with contract. Moral of the story. <laughs> Playoff teams do not deserve the first round pick. I concur. 
That being said, Chicago. Ken Cal does have a point. Of course, Ken Cal has Where- a point. <laughs> I'm going here. I'm talking I'm, here. I'm talking here. What are you doing, Vugazian? Well, apparently we found out we are slightly Italian, just in a very, well, we could be Italian, but. I deny it. <laughs> I like pizza, but everyone w- likes pizza. When can I get to my point of this draft lottery debate here, or this argument, if you will? Are you finishing up here? The lottery is deep. You have a value. Yes, LA doesn't get the first round pick or the first overall pick. LA would, but they still have a plethora of players that they go to. LA NBC NBC Sports has a great put on this where they they kind of go through what the you know quote unquote near unanimous picks are for the 2020 NHL draft with the first team getting Lafreniere, LA getting Blyfield. Um, I don't know who that guy is, but who, Jamie tries to him, Tim oh. Stutzel. Oh, Stutzel. Yes. Tim Stutzel. He is, Stutzel. is he from the German league? Yes. He, or he plays, that from, he plays from, plays from Mannheim plays where Mo, Mo Sider played. That's why people are hope People think Stutzel is going to jump by field. I don't know, but my side of things is this. I've always believed, and this was even, yes, I will say this was a huge deal when the Leafs had, when they won the lottery with Matthews. I said there should be 25%. It should be 25% for the worst team, meaning this year it would have been the Red Wings with 25%, because it's only 18.5%. And everyone's like, well, that's the best odds. That's a great odds compared to everyone else. But that means that the rest of the National Hockey League has a 82 point. Or 81.5% chance of getting it right. My math almost failed me there. Sure. What I'm that's what I'm saying. That's an eight you have an 18.5% chance against the rest of the league. It should be a better odds for the worst team to get better. That's the thing. And I know you don't want to have just, you know, worst record, second worst record. I get that. I understand that. You want teams to try and compete. That's why the NBA does it. That's why the NHL does it. The MLB doesn't do it, and that's why the Tigers are drafting first almost every year nowadays. I want there to be a better reward for a team that bad as Detroit. Because people say, oh, the Red Wings threw games. Look at their team. They weren't throwing games. They were trying. Look who they have. They weren't throwing games. You want, or the, or you, they were throwing games. You want to know why? Because they put Jimmy Howard in net? It's because they didn't have Javani Smith in the top, line, in the top hey, line. Hey, you saw, yeah, I saw that thing I tagged you in right on Facebook. I did. Javani Smith's highlights. I'm just saying. I almost met Javani. If, there is a, if I was not talking to Eric Carlson, I would have talked to Javani Smith. You should have. Javani was right there in the, in the walkway, saying, but Eric Carlson there, walked by, and I'm like, you know what? I got to talk to Eric If there was first. ever a unit of badassery in hockey in today's modern era, you'd be saying, hey, went on that ro- new roller coaster that they have at Cedar Point. Oh, yeah? Yeah. How badass was it? Oh. Giovanni. Three. Maybe even four Giovannis. Four Giovannis. Even though it's not pronounced Giovanni, it's pronounced Giovanni. Because there's no O. It's G-I-V-A-N-I. I know people. Giovanni. Listen. Giovanni Smith. I know people that we can get him on the show for. I know people that can get us hooked up with him. Please. <laughs> Giovanni, I wrote you a poem. Turn into John. <laughs> Roses are red, violets are blue. You punch people's faces in. I love you. <laughs> John Madness to Brett Favre is Alex Kuehl is Giovanni Smith. God bless America and Giovanni Smith. Isn't Giovanni Canadian? <laughs> I don't know and I don't care. <laughs> He's on your the team. The man scores. He gets in front of the net. 
he beats people's faces in, and he wore a jersey that looked like Jurassic Park. <laughs> Gosh. My, uh, listen, minor league hockey is a wonderful thing. But minor league sports is a wonderful thing. Why do you think I'm bummed that there's no Whitecaps this year? No West Michigan Whitecaps. Poor Dan Hasty. He's up because there. Because I couldn't get your free tickets. <laughs> well, no, because there's no games. Well, that too. I mean, I could go down to Kalamazoo and watch games, but I think I'd like to watch the Whitecaps. Cooper and I would have a blast. Cooper Weidenthaler, shout out. Cooper, one of the associate ADs. Or Boy, associate Coop. athletic communications, Boy, SIDs. Big old C. See, I'd love to have Coop on the show, but here's the thing. Coop would just be lost. He'd just be sitting there like smiling. Coop? Here's Coop. We should call him Koopa Troopa. Well, his name is Coop Cooper. Apparently, on all of his so- Mr. Coop Cooper on all of his social media accounts. Koopa Troopa. Cooper said. Cooper actually said, hey, "Can I come over for a little bit?" And I'm like, "We're about to go live." Yeah, I'll just hang out. I'm like, "Where? You've seen he my just, office." He just wants to listen to Ken Cal. That's all. No, he does. He's a St. Louis guy. He's a baseball guy. His knowledge. Alex, I... do you want to know his first hockey game was? When his first game was uh... on my birthday this year when he came with us. Seriously? The, seriously, that was his first game he's ever been to. Everyone should go to a hockey game. Um, Everyone. Period. It's the good old hockey game. The best game you can name. And the best game you can name is a good old hockey. Wait, I, can I start stomping my foot? Well, I Back start... to the news. Oh, news. Yes. Is there anything else more on the the draft lottery? I don't. I think we're all set there. Not that I can think of. We should mention the placeholder had a 2.5% chance to get it. I will say that. If there's any benefit of the doubt in this whole thing. Yeah, but guess what? Still that two and a half percent, still got it. So you're telling me that if listen, if this placeholder can get the first overall pick, I can win the lottery tomorrow, make fifty one million dollars. I mean, you're telling me there's a chance. You're telling me there's a chance that we're going to be in a studio next week. Now, will the money come by then? <laughs> will, the money, will the money be here by next month? Probably Monday? not. They might have to take some time to get figure take, out take the, the taxes. taxes. Fine. August tenth. More live at a studio. No, no, it's not going to happen. More relevant news that actually happened at 220 today. Well, this was and tweeted it, out 220. Today. It was, re- yes. NHL PR, P- at PR underscore NHL. Oh, listen here, Rando. I saw your thing. Yes, the Leafs lost to his Zamboni driver, but shut up. <laughs> yeah, from my team. You're welcome. You're not your team. It's your team, Boat. I rooted for 36 months ago. You decided to cheer for this team. I rooted for them, and you know, hey, did you root for the Toronto Maple Leafs since you were born? No? No. Shut up. I was born a Wings fan. Are you a Canadian citizen? No. But yet you still want to celebrate Canada Day. Shut up. You not want to go golfing? Hey, I'll go golfing. I I exactly. I oh, I'm backing off now. Hey, I free, I you want to pay golf. for golf? You want to pay for Tim's? Exactly. Know your role. I'll pay for Tim's because I still owe Do you your hosting Tim's. role. Oh, gosh, I'm hitting cords now. Yes, you are. Yes, you are. <laughs> I'm yelling at Rando here. <laughs> it's funny to watch it back because like, I see the replay going on. It's like 10 seconds behind, so now I'm yelling at poor Rando. The guy never did anything to me other than called out my team. No big deal. The National Hockey League released a statement on the COVID-19 testing results that they did on the players that are to report to their club facilities. Did they? And, it, and it reads, and I quote. You quote? As of Monday, June 29th, the NHL has had in excess of 250 players report to club training slash practice facilities for optional participation in phase two activities. There have been in excess of 1,450 COVID-19 tests administered to this group of players. Those tests have resulted in a total of 15 players returning confirmed positive tests results for COVID-19. In addition, since June 8th, the opening of Phase 2, 
The league is aware of 11 additional players who have tested positive for COVID-19 outside of the Phase 2 protocol. All players who have tested positive have been self-isolated and are following CDC and Health Canada protocols. The NHL will continue to provide regular updates on the number of tests administered to the players and the results of those tests. Now! So, what Tyler, you- you're... Take away first. See, this is why I think we need to get the wife on here. Because. Why? She's I, butts and guts doctor. Well, butts and guts nets. I just, well, it's funny I, that I, you see right now that the World Health Organization is saying that the worst is yet to come for this pandemic, which isn't that just great news, Alex? Are you ready to stay inside for another six months? Please, no. <laughs> I mean, we'll still have to show. I mean, I, I'll be here. I'm in my, I'm in my apartment. This is my office. I'll be able to still do the show and. You can come over whenever you want. I don't want What do you not? I have a nice new couch. Isn't that comfy? It's not comfy yet because we haven't broken it. It literally came this morning after waiting on it for three weeks. But I digress. This is something. Now, I'm I'm beginning. Because remember how last week, Alex, it was the MLB players that were having all these problems with the coronavirus. Everyone's testing positive and all this and that and yada, yada. My thing about all this is that why... I, I, I'm trying to, I talked to dad about this the other day and I wanted to figure out how I wanted to say this. It's everyone's coming out here. Cause Alex, I've worked enough retail in the last four weeks to probably say that I probably come across people that have had the coronavirus. It's un, it's an unfortunate truth right now in the world that we're in is that some people may have it, but we don't know. That's been the problem since the beginning. Now, yes, some people show the symptoms that are symptomatic and there's others like Ezekiel Elliott and apparently other these a lot of these players in the NHL that I've heard are asymptomatic. Now, yes, there was the Austin Matthews report, but I'm going to leave that HIPAA violation away because I talked about it two weeks ago. I'm not going to get into that again. Actually, it wasn't two weeks ago. It was on last week's show, which I recorded the Friday before. Regardless, it's the fact that these players don't know they have it, but they may have bumped into someone that may have had it, may have been across someone. It's the fact that people are going to get this disease. It's almost like, a, like you can actually get the flu, Alex, without having the symptoms of having a flu. Right. Now, I'm not saying that the coronavirus is like a flu. I know, yes, it is worse. It's mutating disease. I get it. But some people are able to fight through it. Now, I'm not just saying put a bunch of people that may or may not have a disease, put them on the ice, and let them go at each other for 60 minutes. I'm not going to say that. But you have to realize that some people may have it, but they're not going, it's not going to affect them. But then there are some people, I agree, Alex, that are at high risk, whether it be elderly, young, or just, you know, have a weak immune system, that could be, that could have, this could affect them. And that's what the NHL is trying to figure out right now, because right now there's talk of that phase three, that training camp getting pushed back and deservedly. So there is a big issue right now in the league, not just in the NHL, major league baseball, (laughs) NBA, MLS is going to get ready to go this week. The national women's soccer league tournament just started yesterday. Yeah, I get it. If you're able to make it work, go for it. But if you're going to, you have to gauge the severity of what may happen. The reason why there was no 1919 Stanley Cup champion, Alex, between Seattle and Montreal was because Joe Hall died of the Spanish influenza. By the way, just a quick reminder. Yes, in Seattle Metropolitan, Alex, we got the it. Seattle team should be called Seattle Metropolitan. Yeah. But that's my point, is that are they willing to go that far? Like, are they willing to risk it? That's what the NHL, and I'm not saying they are right now because it's so early on. We still have a couple weeks before we get to phase three, or at least the date that was set for phase three. The NHL has plenty of time to decide it. 
This is something, yes, we've never experienced before and pray to the, pray to the good Lord above that we never have to do it again. But the right people need to be in the right room and make the right decisions. Is it, you know, you know what? Just cancel it. Cancel it now before anything else happens. Everyone stay inside. We'll try to get it back going in November. Is that an option? Yes, it is. Is it what they want to do? No. Why? Unfortunately, it comes to financial reimbursement for the playoffs. People say, oh, it's all about the money. Yes, it is. Everyone's like, oh, it shouldn't be about the money. It shouldn't be a problem. Okay. Leafs fans that say this. How are you going to pay for the contracts of all your players when the salary cap gets knocked down to $60 million? Pittsburgh. I'm just, I mean, look at all the teams that have cap issues right now. Arizona's got a lot of LTIR, so I don't need to go into that because of all the players that picked up like Datsuk, Hosa, Pronger. But the point is, is that these teams are going to, the salary cap's going to be affected. I don't know if they're going to be able to do the drawback like they did after the 0405 season, but there's a reason why the league wants to go through with this. And there's a reason why the players want to go through with this because they realize they see between the lines and see that if they don't play this year in these playoffs, if they don't finish it, their money won't be guaranteed next year. That 10.634 that Austin Matthews makes, guess what? Uh, it may go down to a little bit lower of a number. He may be only making 3.4. I'm kidding. No, it's not going to be that bad. But you know what I mean? The money's going to come back. It's going to regress. And it's going to affect the players. And these players want their money. So they realize they have to play. Now, yes, there are players that'll play no matter what, whether sick, dying, broken legs, Bobby Bond-esque, whatever. I get that. But these people need to realize that there is a risk here and they need to gauge, is the risk worth it? And the players have to realize this as well. The NHLPA is involved, the return to play committee, which has guys like John Tavares in there who sees... Carey Price. Carey Price is on there as well. Yes, another veteran of the league. This is not something we can take lightly. People who have families. People who have families, have children. And obviously, yes, the families will not be with them. As far no. as I know, that's the case. That's still the thing that's, that, I know, that's been a problem. The, the, they, they will not. No. So the NHL la- will not allow that. So my last point on it is the NHL is going to figure it out. They have the right people there. Gary Bettman, I have earned a, an inanimate amount of respect. I'm so glad we did that angry August episode a couple years ago. Oh, my gosh. But... I've gained a whole amount of respect for how he's handled the situation, how well he's done it. So that's why I'm like, all right, they got the right people in there. They'll make the right decision, whether that be goes on with the playoffs, watch the play around seven game series all the way through October, or we cancel it and try to start 2020, 21 reasonably on time as it would be a normal season. So I'm interested to see what they do from there. I've said it multiple times and I'll continue to say it. Although it's controversial, the UFC made a great point, and they set a great precedent when they had a whole thing set up, a whole card, match card, and one person tested positive in his corner, and that person, that fighter in his corner, were not allowed to compete. 15 players out of over 1,000 tests. The NHL wants to do it. They can do it. On that note... We're going to go to commercial, and then afterwards, we are going to have an interview Jack, with Jack Michaels. Jack Michaels. Edmonton Oilers, Jack Michaels. I'll be interested to see you. I mean, then again, I know what he's going to talk about because, well, I mean, I only talked to him a couple days ago, so I know what he's going to say, but they don't. That's why we're going to play it next here on The Kiel Show on the 12-Ounce Sports Network.
And now join us here on The Kuehl Show. He is the play-by-play radio voice of the Edmonton Oilers all the way from Alberta. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome Ithaca College graduate Jack Michaels. Jack, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, so for, well, first, I guess the question I've been asking all my guests lately is, has been, how have you been through this whole crazy, lovely pandemic we find ourselves in? Well, I mean, it's obviously been a challenge. I, I feel like, uh, you know, like so many hockey fans, we were robbed of uh, one hell of a finish. I'm hopeful that, you know, next month we'll be, you know, looking at uh, NHL postseason games and awarding a Stanley Cup sometime in the in the next two months after that. But, yeah, it's been weird on all levels. Uh, you know, obviously looking out for my parents in the States and, you know, happy to report that uh, the people closest to me are okay, but also mindful of the fact that uh, I'd sure like to be through this you know, as soon as possible for the sake of everyone in the world, because uh, I never thought I'd live through anything like this, and and I'm happy for those who've uh, who've been able to survive this terrible time. Yeah, it's it's been crazy, and my my wife in particular, she's a nurse, so she's been seeing it firsthand for the most part. But it's good that we're slowly getting back into some normalcy, both here in Michigan in the United States and up in Canada as well. And one team that's been I guess a little bit above normal is the Edmonton Oilers, a team that's feeling pretty good going into the postseason, given the fact that they don't have to be in a play in series. But still with that said, Jack, and I, I don't want to ever use the word weak to define anything, but the Pacific division has been so odd this year because so many teams have gone up and down. I think they have the most lead changes with the division lead, but Edmonton finds themselves in a spot second in the division at the pause, which gives them a bye to the round robin. How do you think the well, orders? I, I hate to I hate to correct you there, but actually Edmonton, uh, as as you know, it it is teams overall. So Dallas, even though they're in third place in the Central Division, they're going by the point percentage. Oh, that last loss by Edmonton to Winnipeg in the final game that was played in the National Hockey League before the pause, actually cost the Oilers the position that you're talking about. So the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs will be Edmonton-Chicago. That is my... I totally forgot. For some reason, this pause has made me go nuts, I'm pretty sure. I totally forgot about that. Yeah, no, I I, I figured... I figured, because you are right, that's exactly the position Edmonton was in, but, again, the Oilers happened to play the last game on the NHL schedule uh, before the pause. In fact, uh, I was in the second period of that night's game against Winnipeg when it was announced the NBA would be suspending its season, and we pretty much knew at that point that the National Hockey League you know, was, was about to play its last game. So that puts Edmonton in the predicament of having a best-of-five first-round play-in series that they're going to be playing against the Chicago Blackhawks. And it's, you know, obviously no gimme. I mean, you know, the Oilers, as you pointed out, one of several teams to hold the Pacific Division lead. There was a lot of jockeying back and forth. Arizona had first place for a while. Vegas was, of course, in the mix. Edmonton, you know, had spent the most days in first place. But we're looking up at Vegas in the standings. And, and quite frankly, it's interesting Vegas, Edmonton, 1-2 in the Pacific Division, and they might be 1-2 when it comes to the host cities. 
still awaiting final word on how that'll shake down. Latest reports are that Vancouver's bid has hit a bit of a snag. So Edmonton is right there along with Toronto with everyone presuming that Vegas is going to be one of the two host cities. But it's, it's still very much a possibility that, that those, the two host cities will both reside in the Western Conference. That would be certainly interesting because we, I remember when that first report came out that Vegas was going to get it, and then everyone's like, okay, it's going to be Toronto just because they'd have the east and the east, west and the west. And I kind of said, I'm like, all right, here's why it would obviously work because obviously folks in the eastern seaboard, they like to see their teams play, you know, prime time, 7 o'clock, and then not have to wait up so late because at that point, you're almost wonder, Jack, if you have so many games around the same time frame. I mean, you're going to be having games that will be played most likely. I don't know if it will be the playoff, the play-in series, or these round-robin games, but they'll be in the morning if they're all in the West. Well, it's, it's intriguing how, you know, the schedule is still kind of, you know, what's up in the air because the other thing the National Hockey League has said from the get-go is is they want to crank these games out and, and we they want to get through the rounds of the playoffs as quickly as possible for, you know, for the sake of everyone, for the sake of potentially, you know, protecting the integrity of the 2021 season, which, which now is looking like it, it may very well be just the 2021 season. I mean, I, there's no guarantee the NHL will be back in action for the next regular season until January 1. So, so many factors at play. I, there's still so much unknown. Uh, there's been talk that the July 10th date in terms of the start of the training camp for the NHL may be pushed back. Uh, we'll, we'll still have to see on, on that score. But, you know, again, the latest I can tell you is that, uh, you know, I would say Vegas, Toronto, Edmonton are, are probably the strongest three candidates out there with, you know, Vancouver sliding back somewhere alongside Chicago and L.A. And, of course, five of those six cities with Pittsburgh and Columbus having been ruled out are in the Western Conference, which means one of the things that I think in a perfect world the NHL wanted to avoid and that, you know, one of the playoff participants potentially playing in its own building, uh, that that may not happen. If, if two are in the West, obviously one is going to wind up with some sort of, if it's not a home ice advantage in the traditional sense because of North, you know, no fans, I guess you'd call it a home facilities advantage. Yeah, that was one thing we talked about because Vegas would be, obviously, they'd play in their own rink. They'd be able to sleep in their own bed and all that good stuff. I guess the question is then with having Edmonton be a front runner and Toronto being a front runner is I've heard mixed things. I've heard both that the Canadian government is going to be a little more lenient with the NHL and the players coming up. And then I've heard they'll say that they're pretty stagnant on the 14 day mandatory quarantine for non-essential travel. Do you think that will affect the NHL's decision or is that just seems like as of right now that it, it doesn't matter to the league? Well, I don't know whether you could say at this point that anything doesn't matter to the league. I think they're, I think they're looking at all kinds of, of variables right now. What I, what I can tell you is that, you know, the proposal calls for, a, you know, July 10th return to training camp. July 30th is, is potentially the first, you know, round robin game slash opening, opening dates for your play in series. So, you know, I'm not sure with respect to the schedule. I mean, it's already going to be an eerie type situation. Uh, there, there's not going to, nothing's going to feel normal. So I'm not sure timing 
of the games and, and any of that kind of scheduling is, is going to be that much of a, you know, a deal breaker one way or the other from an NHL point of view. I, I think especially with some of the, you know, the outbreaks we've seen, uh, the NHL is, is, is really looking to keep that bubble tight uh, in the interest of safety for all concerned. Right. And that's obviously going right. to be their first, their most important aspect to look is when, when they come back. But I got to ask you from broadcaster to broadcaster, Jack, how do you think it's going to be? I mean, what have you been told? What, like how your, your role will be affected with everything that's going on, obviously broadcasting for the Oilers. I mean, when you go to the hub city, I mean, are you going to be with the team? Are you going to be in closing that bubble? How is that going to be for the play by play guys perspective? Well, I mean, I, I think, uh, it, it'll be a challenge. I mean, I'm, Right now, Tyler, I'm, I guess, preparing. I don't know whether that's the right word because there's no way to truly prepare until you do it. But I'm expecting to handle the play-by-play duties, you know, off a monitor in, in some local studio. I mean, that's what I anticipate happening. Uh, I don't know that for sure. I haven't been officially told by either the Edmonton Oilers or the National Hockey League. But I would suspect with everything I'm hearing about how tight they want to keep that bubble that I will not be in the arena broadcasting the game. So, you know, that'll present a whole different set of challenges, especially for anything that happens behind the play or away from the play. Uh, I'm going to, I'm not going to be depending on my own eyes. You know, I'm, I'm going to be depending on, on those professionals that are, that are tracking the game and, and taking it off the monitor feed. And you know what? It's nothing that a lot of my colleagues haven't done for various Olympic sports or, or other you know international events where where they haven't traveled to the event itself. So it'll be a challenge, but it's a challenge that a lot of broadcasters are handling right now. Uh, in in the you know in light of this pandemic, is is everyone's got to make adjustments and everyone's got to find a way to bring their A game no matter the circumstance. It's interesting you mentioned that being in a studio because I myself, I'm an NASCAR fan and they've been doing the iRacing, but now they're coming back obviously to being at live tracks. But, you know, Mike Joy and Jeff Gordon for NASCAR and Fox, they've had to actually broadcast inside a studio. But of course, they have like different monitors recovering different parts of the track. So I would think that the NHL would help broadcasters that are broadcaster remote having like different cameras almost like the situation room in toronto having different angles so you'd be able to see for yourself what's going on all around the rink yeah i mean again i don't know what the feeds are going to look like i i you know i do know that i've asked for a couple of different monitors one for myself one for my color commentator and and we'll just do the best we can and and uh you know and try to make it uh you know, try to make it as though we were there, but also conveying, you know, the the weirdness of not being there. I, I think whenever you put on a broadcast, uh, it's incumbent upon you to, to try to uh, bring the event home, but also bring your own experience home. So uh, I'm sure it'll work out. I, I'm sure I'm, you know, capable of, of figuring it out, but it's, it's definitely going to be weird. And, and it's, you know, unlike anything I've ever really tried. And, and one of the reasons you get into play-by-play rather than, you know, maybe a studio host or a, you know, sports anchor, you know, in some of those more traditional roles is I never, you know, wanted to be behind a desk and, and, and not at the ev- actual event. Well, the pandemic has kind of forced my hand. So 
I better figure it out sooner rather than later. Yeah, I guess we all need that sort of odd experience. I mean, heck, that's how I started broadcasting, sitting on, sitting on the couch, muting the game, and calling it myself. So, obviously, it's something, we yeah, have, there you go. something we've all done. But, you know, talking about now getting to the Edmonton as a team you will be calling, whether it be at the rink, whether it be at a studio, whatnot, this has been a team that I don't want to say it's been a head-scratching team, but it's so funny. To, it's fun to watch them play because you have guys like Leon Dreisaitl, Connor McDavid, but then after that, it almost seems like it kind of, at least in terms of the statistics on paper, it falls off a little bit. Cassian has 34 points, but he's tied for the tied for fourth in the team and scoring with Oscar Clefbaum. Does it still seem like, Jack, that this Oilers team is still led by the two-headed monster that is McDavid and Dreisaitl? Well, no question it is, but I don't think it's you know much different. I mean, look at Boston's statistics. Look at... Look at what happens after you get through Posternock and Marchand. I mean, I, you know, that, or, or look at, you know, Chicago Days and Kane, uh, you know, Crosby, Malk, and I mean, it's funny. The NHL and, and the definition of a balanced lineup, really, if you, if you dig deep into those statistics and you actually look at those teams, you'll see a pretty dramatic fall off on, on more of them than not. I mean, there, you know, there's not a, a ton of teams out there where, you know, every guy's, you know, right around 40 or 50 points. But I'll tell you what, uh, they're certainly not one of the more successful, you know, teams out there. I mean, the NHL at the end of the day is like the other sports in the, case, in the sense that you need some stars on your team to, to, you know, have a big year. I mean, there's there's not too many teams out there, not really since, the LA Kings, and even they, you know, had Kopitar and you had Jeff Carter scoring 30 goals. I mean, you know, it, it's hard to come up with a, a completely balanced lineup. I think Ken Holland, you know, made some key additions in the bottom six with respect to Josh Archibald and Riley Shan. He got a few breaks in the, you know, development that perhaps came earlier than many expected of, of defensemen like Ethan Bear and Caleb Jones. And then the decision to bring in Mike Smith as a capable backup to Miko Koskinen as instead of a traditional starter backup situation basically led itself to, you know, a, a double-headed monster there as well. And as a result, I think Edmonton has, you know, greater depth than a lot of, than a lot of its contemporaries, particularly at the goal-setting position. I think, you know, the Oilers are one of those teams where, no matter whether it was Koskin or Smith, if one of them went down, the other is, has been confident about about carrying the mail. And, and if one should struggle, uh, the same goes. I, I expect Edmonton to use both of its goaltenders, even if it's even if in its you know best of five first round series with Chicago. I I expect both goaltenders to be utilized, which actually is a is a big advantage over Chicago, as you know they dealt Robin Leonard at the deadline. And now they'll go in to a, a postseason run they didn't expect to happen. I mean, they were 11 points behind Edmonton at the pause. And now all of a sudden, you know, if Corey Crawford doesn't play well, they have nowhere to turn. So Edmonton has some depth. I, I think, again, if you take a look closely at some of these other teams, uh, the fall off is, is, is similar to what you find in Edmonton. I'm not suggesting there's not fall off. And I'm not suggesting that McDavid and Dreisaitl aren't the primary reasons why, you know, Edmonton's in the shape they are. I'm just suggesting 
that Edmonton isn't much different from a lot of the other legitimate Stanley Cup contenders out there. And and what, you know, McDavid and Drysdale have done this year where, you know, Drysdale's probably going to win the MVP, uh, yet is probably not even the best player on his own team. And, and you've got an Edmonton club that's probably looking at the top two centers in the National Hockey League, first team and second team, all NHL. That hasn't happened in the league since the 61-62 season. So before expansion, uh, it's, it's really remarkable. And, and again, I fully expect uh, Drysdale and McDavid to be first and second team NHL down the middle. There, it's so funny because the criticism for the first few years of Connor McDavid is that it was McDavid and nobody else. And then when Drysdale had the one pretty good year when the when the Oilers made the playoffs there in 2017, it was because he was playing with McDavid. How do you think that Drysdale has involved to, I guess, McDavid's wingman in terms now of being a superstar in his own right? Well, I mean, I think the biggest thing is, is he's not McDavid's wingman anymore. He's leading his own line, and he's leading uh, uh, an Oiler line that basically is the reason they're in they're in the fifth spot in the Western Conference, and that's with Kyler Yamamoto on the right side and Ryan Nugent Hopkins moving out of the center ice position and over to left wing alongside Drysdale instead of McDavid, where he spent a lot of time late last season. Now you've got uh, the two-headed monster down the middle that I was just talking about, and Drysdale uh, has brought along a kid in Kyler Yamamoto who needs three cracks at the NHL level to find a home, and if you're going to find a home, I suppose you know, finding a home between two of the best centers in the league, uh, you know, Drysdale and, and McDavid or Drysdale and Nugent Hopkins isn't a bad uh, isn't a bad fit. I mean, it's it's really been Edmonton's best line since New Year's Eve, and it's been the best line in the National Hockey League since New Year's Eve. And it was, you know, largely responsible for the Oilers kind of pulling themselves out of December doldrums. I mean, they had hit the skids in December. And they were in danger of sliding back toward the 500 mark. They got on a run, and uh, you know they're back in the thick of things in the Western Conference. And it's because Drysdale again, and it wasn't the first time. I mean, he he did in the 2017 postseason, uh, where you know where he ended up playing a lot, uh, you know, on his own, and and not with Connor McDavid on his line. You know, he he carried the mail for the Oilers. He was their leading scorer in that postseason run, uh, and he was the guy that basically carried them to a seventh game against Anaheim with a hat trick and, and five points in game six. So this is not the first time, but I think it's the time that really has solidified in the eyes of the rest of the National Hockey League that not only is he this year's most valuable player, but he's going to be a top-five player. He's a top-five player right now in the National Hockey League, and he's going to be for years to come. There were 11 games left, or 10 or 11 games left for the Oilers. Do you think he could have hit 50 again? Absolutely. I, I think he might have very well caught, you know, Pasternak and, and Alex Dobetskin for the Rocket Richard. I mean, he was scoring at a at a significant clip uh, right before the pause. And, you know, of those 11 games, there were a few, you know, against, the bottom of the Western Conference. I mean, Drysdale's a guy who scores goals in bunches, and he was really coming to the wire like a thoroughbred. I think he was might have been seven back at the pause, if if memory serves. But you know, there were still eleven games left to play, and I, I've seen Leon go on a tear where 
he's scoring a goal a game for 10 games. And, you know, who knows? I, I think he was hitting 50, and I, I still would have given him an outside shot to put himself in the Rocket Richard conversation. I know it may seem ludicrous, but that's the kind of tear he got in January. Check the numbers. Yeah. He was on an, an incredible run. I, I think at one point he scored 13 goals in 11 games. He has that kind of talent and that kind of ability to shoot the puck when he's not distributing it. Yeah, I, I was looking at the stats earlier, and out of players in the NHL that had over 100 shots this season, I don't know if it's shot attempts or shot on goals, he is tied for third in shooting percentage with 19.7%. So that's just a testament to how good Dreisaitl has been. But one guy that has just been with the Oilers for so long, and Jack, when you first started out with Edmonton, he was there early on in your career there with Edmonton, and he's probably the last guy, I would say, from, I guess you can say, quote-unquote, the dark ages of the Oilers, and that's Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He's a guy that I've always loved. I remember when he came out of Red Deer, I'm like, all right, this guy, he may not be the superstar score, but he's going to have those, those, I guess, those intangibles that'll make him a longtime NHLer, and he's still been effective with the Oilers now. How have you seen his game develop from, from he was a rookie until now as a key part of this Oilers team? Well, Ryan Nugent Hopkins had no cushion when he broke into the National Hockey League. He was not eased into the lineup. He was on a line, by and large, with Taylor Hall and, and Jordan Eberle and had to play against the Western Conference beast for years. Andre Kopitar, Ryan Getzloff, Jonathan Cave, Joe Thornton. That's all he played against. I mean, every single night from 18 years old on. I mean, he had no... You know, no, uh, I guess no transition period in the National Hockey League. I mean, he was facing 10-year vets, 15-year vets on a night-in, night-out basis. The world's best players in, at, certainly at that time, by far the best conference. I mean, you know, I know the Bruins won it in 11, but think about it. Then 12 and 14, the Kings win, 13 and 15, the Blackhawks win. I mean, his first four years, I mean, think about the matchups he was looking at, night in, night in, base, night in, night out basis. And so, you know, the defensive aspects of his game, I think, developed more quickly than the offensive aspect because every coach, especially with a young player, needs to trust you defensively first. And Nugent Hopkins knew if he went for all offense and, you know, the Oilers were losing games 6-3 and 7-4, that he'd find himself you know, stapled to the bench for long periods of time or being moved away from that first-line ice time. So, you know, he established himself as a two-way player, and I think only now with some of the pressure off where he's, you know, been able to play some second-line minutes for the first time in his career over his last couple seasons, and, and he's been able to, you know, play on the wing alongside McDavid or alongside Dreisaitl and not have to take every defensive zone face-off and, you know, have to worry about checking first all the time. Now you're starting to see him explore the offensive aspect of his game. Last year, 28 goals, a career-high 69 points. And people say, well, well he, he played with Connor McDavid. Well, they said the same thing about Dreisaitl. And then look what happens this year. Nugent Hopkins isn't playing with McDavid. He's playing with Dreisaitl, and he's putting up the same kind of numbers that alongside, you know, Dreisaitl and Yamamoto, uh, formed, you know, again, the league's best line for a six-week period of time. Look at Nugent Hopkins' numbers since New Year's Eve. He's top five scorer in the National Hockey League. I mean, he's he's absolutely lit it up. 
So this is a guy that, uh, you know, I, I think developed from the inside out, uh, meaning that, you know, he play, had to play it close to the vest. He got banged up a few times, had a shoulder injury his rookie year that probably cost him the Calder. He blew a wheel in Chicago and crashed into the boards and injured his shoulder. But uh, he's the guy that I think for years has been underrated. And, and now that he's on the wing and, and, you know, had some of the shackles around him lifted and, and being encouraged to play more offense, he's been able to think offense first. Uh, and, and I think the results are, are there for themselves. I, I think he's no question been one of the league's top 20 offensive players for the last year and a half. Yeah, I mean, he's, it's a great story because, you know, when you see guys that, when teams that bounce back and have a successful rebuild, you like to see the guys that are still there that, you know, remember those dark days. And Nuge has been one of those guys. Well, so. he's the longest tenured oiler by far. He's played 604 games for the team. Uh, and unlike Oscar Kleppbaum, I mean, he didn't, the only time he saw in the minors was in the lockout period where, where he, Hall, and Everly all went down there. But, uh, you know, that 2011, you know, first round of, of, of the draft is, is looking pretty sharp with Nugent Hopkins at one and and uh, and Clef Bomb at 19. I mean, I, you know, for me, he's right there uh, with Landis Gog as, 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 you know, really the jewels of that draft. Yeah, that was a, a very exceptional draft, and that was in the middle of the time where everyone's like, oh, yeah, the Oilers are going to get it every year. But, no, but Nuge was a great pickup, and, of course, now this team heads into the playoffs, and as you corrected me earlier, because I'm just – I'll just – well, I'll test it to a, a blonde moment, if you will. The Oilers get the Hawks in the first round. Is that – and I know it's it's crazy with a five-game series because if you run into a hot goaltender, if Crawford's able to stand on his head, it could make it very difficult for the Oilers – how important is that Edmonton goes into this series focused on just getting the job done to move on to the next round? Well, I mean, you're dealing with a Chicago club that, you know, the last time you came out of a, you know, a kind of a mid season pause was, was the 2013 lockout and the Hawks went 21, Oh, and three, I believe coming out of that, you know, coming out of the lockout. Now that was a different team. That was a much deeper Chicago club. But you're right. I mean, you got Corey Crawford, you got Duncan Keith, you got Patrick Kane, you got Jonathan Tate. Those guys, if they get hot and are playing at maximum capability, can make your life miserable, especially in a short series. So it's about exploiting the matchups down the middle from a depth perspective. And, you know, there's no way, you know, Jonathan Tate, if he if he ch- takes McDavid, fine. Drys Settles could have a field day with either... Kirby Doc or or Dylan Strome defensively. I mean, there's no way those two guys can keep up with Drysaddle. And fine if you want to match up with what I call was the league best line, and that's Drysaddle, Yamamoto, and Nugent Hopkins. If you want to put the Taves line there, then you've got you know a potential situation where you know you've got to you've got to deal with Connor McDavid. You'll have Patrick Kane on the wing, but who deals with McDavid's foot speed? I mean. Dylan Strome is a buddy of his, but McDavid's not going to show him any mercy. And Kirby Doc, you know, has played 65 NHL games. I mean, I, I think Kirby's going to be a capable player. I'm not sure that he's going to be, you know, the off-the-chart talent that ultimately you associate with a top-five pick. But I don't like that matchup for Kirby Doc in the postseason. So yes. 
That's where Edmonton can take advantage of Chicago. Depth on defense is not even a question mark. I mean, Chicago's going to have a guy coming off an injury, Calvin DeHaan in their top four. They don't have anywhere near the depth on defense Edmonton does. I mean, it's quite possible that, you know, guys like Mike Green and Chris Russell, who've played more than 800 games in the National Hockey League, aren't even going to crack the lineup on an everyday basis. I mean, all of a sudden, Edmonton has a huge advantage in depth on defense, and especially in goal, as I talked about. If Corey Crawford doesn't play up to par, there's nowhere for Chicago to turn, whereas the Oilers can flip the switch, and Mike Smith and, and Miko Koskin have both shown they can carry the club for weeks at a time this year. Who, who would you, if you're Dave Tippett, who would you rather go with? Is Koskinen your number one guy, or I mean, if you if he is, do you have him on a short leash, or do you, would you go with the veteran Smith, who by, even though the Flames got knocked out so quickly by the Avalanche last year, was probably the Flames' best player he in that series. He was their best player. Yeah, yeah, he was. You're exactly right. He was He was the only guy who really showed up in that Colorado series. I mean, Goudreau, Monaghan, I mean, none of those guys had any kind of a series. They, they just they just weren't there. Mike Smith was the only reason that series I, was ever competitive. I mean, Colorado won it in five and, and needed an overtime win or two, and, and that's because of the way Mike Smith played. I think it'll be Mike Smith. I, I think, obviously, the, the history with Dave Tippett, he, he carried an undermanned Arizona club into the 2012 Western Conference Final, and, and Tippett, even though it's eight years later, has seen enough of Smith this year to do I think ultimately give him the nod? I mean, has Koskinen been better statistically? Probably. But again, I think when you look at the difference between the two goaltenders, if there is any difference, I would say this, that Koskinen's poor games have been slightly better than Mike Smith's poor games this year. But when they've both been on, they've been equally as good. And that's the only reason I think, you know, again, if you look real deep at the numbers, Koskinen has, uh, has a slightly better save percentage and, and things of that nature, but I, I, I think I think Smith is going to be the game one starter, but as I told you earlier, Tyler, one thing I can really say with conviction is in a best of five series, I'd still place everything I got on Edmonton utilizing both goaltenders in this series. It, it certainly is the best problem to have. Uh, last little, qu- last couple, or last, I guess, question here for you, Jack, before we let you go here today. Obviously, the playoffs are really important here coming up for Edmonton. But yesterday, the Hall of Fame nominees for 2020 were announced. And, of course, Ken Holland, who you've worked with recently, has been induct- is going to be inducted under the builder strategy or under the builder wing of the Hockey Hall of Fame and of course Kevin Lowe longtime Oiler he will also be inducted how important and how I guess what is their two legacy in the game both Kevin Lowe and Ken Holland well obviously Ken Holland's legacy at Edmonton is yet to be fully written I think Paul Coffey said it best when he said you know perhaps Ken Holland's best work has come in Detroit, but his best triumph might be the one he breaks to Edmonton if he's able to get the Oilers over the finish line to a Stanley Cup because uh, this city is starving for it. I, I think Ken Holland, you know, three Stanley Cups, the run of postseason appearances in Detroit for two decades on, I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. I mean, you got a, you got a club in the postseason for a quarter-century run and that's pretty impressive. Uh, the late-round picks of guys like Henrik Zetterberg and Pavel Datsuk, who were, you know, cornerstones of, 
of the 2008, you know, Stanley Cup team and certainly contributors of the 2002 squad as well. Look, I mean, there's not much you can say. I mean, <laughs> Ken Holland, you know, is who he is. Uh, he has put a competitive squad on the ice for virtually his entire National Hockey League career. And in a brief period of time and without any, you know, room to speak of on the salary cap, he's brought Edmonton back into the thick of things. For Kalo, uh, look, I'm really happy for Kevin Lowe. I think the Hall of Fame should always be more than just about statistics. And he's the seventh Oiler from that run uh, throughout the mid-'80s and early-'90s that, uh, you know, reached the Hockey Hall of Fame, and he deserves to be there. And I don't want to hear about how, you know, he didn't have 40 points after 1984. You know, someone, someone, uh, you know, messaged me yesterday, oh, this is great news for Brent Seabrook. And I'm like, look, whatever you might think of, you know, all-star games and Stanley Cups and that sort of thing, is that the measuring stick? Brent Seabrook's had a hell of a career, but he's made one all-star game and has three Stanley Cups. Kevin Lowe is one of five guys to win six Stanley Cups without the benefit of ever having played for the Montreal Canadiens. But, oh, by the way, he made seven all-star games. You can't tell me that just because this guy didn't win the Norris Trophy that he doesn't deserve to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Guys inside the organization and inside that hockey team will tell you that Kevin Lowe was the backbone of the club, and the guy that brought everyone into the mix, the guy that was the most reliable teammate of anyone in that room. And the, anyone from Wayne Gretzky to Paul Coffey to Glenn Anderson to Grant Fuhrer will tell you that. And Grant Fuhrer said this validates the fact that we could play a little defense when we had to, too. Paul Coffey always tells me, hey, the reason I you know, was paired with Kevin Lowe and Charlie Huddy is some, you know, every once in a while we had to play defense. And, and Kevin Lowe did that for so many years. Speaking from personal experience, I remember the very first Christmas party I ever went to as part of the Edmonton Oilers organization. Of all the people, there was one guy who made sure to make the rounds and make my wife feel comfortable. She had been in Edmonton, a new city, a new country. Uh, and this was one of her first, you know, public ventures out in the three months she had been there at that point. And it was Kevin Lowe engaging her in a 20 minute conversation. He is an inclusive guy, always has been. And that's why he's universally respected as one of the finest teammates in the history of North American professional sports. And that's why I was really happy to see him inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame because it shows that even in this day of age, there's still room for a a Hall of Fame caliber person. Yeah, he, he's been, I mean, he's, my gosh, I can't, I know there was a couple of years, like you said, he went to the Rangers, won a cup there, but he's been with the Oilers other than that pretty much since the team came into the league and before that. So he's, it's definitely good to him, good to see him. Coach to, the Oilers, general manager of the Oilers, was the guy that brought Chris Pronger here to Edmonton. And that, of course, you know, triggered the run to the 2006 Stanley Cup final. I mean, he's done it all in this game. And I think, uh, you know, an original Oiler is the first ever Edmonton Oiler drafted to the NHL back in 1979. Scored the first ever goal uh, in 1979, although some people tell you it might have been tipped. But bottom line is, is uh, you know, he's the epitome of what I, I guess the franchise would expect from, uh, you know, once an Oiler, always an Oiler. And, and I know it was a very popular vote. I've had a chance to hear the comments, Wayne Gretzky, I talked to Paul Coffey yesterday. I mean, they're overjoyed 
that one of their favorite teammates is now going to be joining him as a teammate forever in, in Toronto in the Hockey Hall of Fame. Do you think they're going to add a next to the Montreal form locker room there at the Hall of Fame? Do you think they're ever going to put a, an old Rexall Center uh, locker room there with a bunch of the Oilers, the way that they're starting to build that team in the Hall? They probably should. They <laughs> probably should. Like I said, I mean, I, I think uh, of any team to, you know, come at, you know, come in the post-expansion area. I mean, outside of the original six, I think the Edmonton Oilers have to be considered the most successful franchise uh, you know, post-1967 in the history of the NHL. I definitely concur with that there, Jack. Folks, you can always follow Jack on Twitter, at Edmonton Jack. Also, you can follow him on Instagram as well, at Edmonton Jack. Jack, whenever we see you, whenever we hear you, whether it be at the rink, in the playoffs, wherever that hub city may be, or in a studio, I'm sure Oilers fans will love to hear your voice and because that means hockey will be playing. Thank you very much for taking the time today, Jack. I'm with you on that, pal. Appreciate it, Tyler. Thanks for having me on. And thank you once again there to our good friend Jack Michaels. Jack, of course, being a good part. Oops, sorry. I got forgot to put the audio on. Of course, me. Of course, first time the show, I forgot to put the audio on. Once again, thank you, Jack Michaels. Everyone just saw me talking to myself there for a second, but that's every day of the week. But now, jumping right into our next interview, our last interview here in the final segment here of today's Cool Show on 12-Ounce Sports Network. As you can see to my left, at least on the screen, the picture of Harrison Watt, now a five-time, 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 five-time guest here on TKS. Harrison, how are you doing today, sir? I'm good, uh, except for the fact that I unwittingly chose the time slot that followed two NHL broadcasters. So I uh, maybe should maybe should have requested to hit leadoff today instead of trying to bat behind the big sluggers. Well, of course, you know Ken got the he Ken Cal got the first call. He got the first pick. You know he was one of our go-to guests, and he said six thirty. Then I asked you, and you said eight, and I'm like capping off the show, Harrison. All right, big bold move there, but. It's always great to have you on, Harrison, talking about Ferris State and college hockey for that matter. And, you know, and there's the funny thing. Harrison, you can't see it right now, but we have a picture on of you to my left right now. Can you guess which picture I used? Uh, would it be the one of me in the dinosaur jacket at Bowling Green? Yes, that one. That's, yeah. the, that's the one I picked. Well, I mean, you're... That's kind of- it's kind of what I imagined. It's perfect. I mean, it's it's just you right on the camera, like you're you're there. It's it's absolutely perfect. Well, the I have to ask because I when we announced yesterday our our partnership with Second String Leather, you asked for free stuff, and then I did my little quirky little oh yeah. When you find out you have to give free stuff, to people. I took a picture that I found because I searched you know to see like what other pictures I could use of you for the show, and there's a picture of you at PPJ PP and G Paints Arena in Pittsburgh looking like a terrified broadcaster. <laughs> What's the story behind that? Uh, that was my first play-by-play game in an NHL rink. And I walked into the booth and it was bigger than the apartment that I was living in that year. Gosh. <laughs> so, I was like, well, what were, I was like, so, so what oh. were you doing there then? If I may ask. That was uh, Fair State at the Three Rivers Classic. It was us against Boston College that day. We oh. played Robert Morris the day before. Oh, no, it was the Robert Morris game that I took the picture. Yeah. Um, we played Robert Morris, then we played Boston College. Um, but I was up there just, like, I'm by myself, first of all. And it was, like, one of my first trips traveling with the team. So I'm up there, 
I had been shown around the day before by the Penguins communication staff during a Penguins game. Um, and, and I'm up there, I'm kind of in awe and I have the run of the show and it took me, um, probably until right up the broadcast to calm down to do the game. But I took the picture, um, cause one of my friends at the time was teasing me about doing the game. And I think the caption was something to the effect of, I don't belong here. <laughs> Well, that's why when I had the first game I did with you this past season, I posted that and I got a few good chuckles out of people that looked at it, but everyone has it. I mean, like I said, my heartbeat was about 195 beats per minute. Then we started the show. So that's how it goes. Right. And once you get, once you get in the swing of things, that's all that matters. Right. Yeah. It was just a little different height that I'm used to doing the game from, as you know, uh, at the, uh, Ava Glavin, it's a little closer to the ice than when you're at NHL, uh, press level height. Well, when we were at the GLI this past winter, when you were calling the games for Ferris State, I was up actually above you up in the writer's press box there, which was right next to the vents, which was so nice so I could freeze. But I would actually call the game so I could get used to calling from that height because you call games in public rinks or some smaller college rinks. You're right. You're almost right there with the fans. I'm like, shoot, when we went to Ferris, I was like high-fiving my girlfriend or or my fiance, my wife at the time during those games. So. But exactly, it, it, it's such a unique experience. That's why college hockey just has that certain minutia about it. And speaking of college hockey, Harrison, there's a lot of talk right now about what's going to happen this coming season. Nobody knows when there's colleges out there saying they're not going to play fall sports and whatnot, which would coincidentally affect collegiate hockey as an SID yourself or one that works in the SID department. What is the word right now in terms of the start time, not just for hockey, but I guess sports at the university level in general in the United States? I hate to just point you and everybody listening, but everything that you're hearing is um, basically what I'm hearing. There's no real inside information. Nobody's made any decisions. I think what I can tell you is I think schools are afraid to be the first team to make a decision, whether it's, in a positive light or a negative light. Um, I, I think a big school is nervous to take a step and say, okay, we're not going to play fall sports or we're going to go ahead and do this. Um, because I think they know the snowball effect will follow them. And if it backfires either way, um, they're the ones that, you know, kind of take the fall to a certain extent. I feel optimistic uh, because our plan is to go ahead and play on time hockey wise. Um, other things are still up in the air. Uh, I think it's safe to say we still don't know. Um, but our plan is we're going to start gearing up to play in October um, within the next two, three weeks. And, and we're going to hope that uh, things get better. I would just say from a completely apolitical standpoint, um, you know, America cares about sports very much. And oh, yeah. clearly the people making the decisions um, have decided that the only thing they're going to make decisions based on is the infection rate, not hospitalizations, not deaths. Seems like infection rates can be the driver. And uh, I would just say, do all that you can to keep that down to the best of your abilities. If you love sports, uh, do what you, do what you can, because you know it could be in risk of uh, being a really depressing fall if if we don't work hard at this together. It's not it's not something I like to talk about. Uh, I don't mean to go off on a rant here, but I personally hate wearing my mask. I do it um, because I know that if I fight the battle as best I can, hopefully 
the infections will go down and hopefully we'll have sports. So yeah, that's my I, little bit on let's save sports. I really hope so too. Cause I'm sitting there thinking to myself, cause I've talked to my SIDs here at Davenport. We're like, all right, what are we going to do? If nothing happens, are we just going to sit there and twiddle our thumbs? Hey, we had a great paper football tournament when everything went down. So, I mean, we could make, we could broadcast a couple more of those. I mean, I've never done a paper football game, but can't be that hard back and forth. And, oh, he makes it. Oh, he misses. Oh, he makes it. It's, it's like tennis almost just, you know, with us SIDs that are a little less athletic <laughs> to say the least. Exactly. Maybe nobody wants to see that, but you know, when, when the season gets going, whenever that may be October, November, December, Obviously, there's a lot to look forward to in the season. And the Bulldogs, yourself, have calling games for Ferris State. They have a few new faces coming in this year. A couple guys graduated, Nate Callen and one in particular. But there's a lot of guys coming into the fold this year that have a lot of upside to them, including the goaltending position as well. Tell us about some of the new faces that folks up in Big Rapids are going to be seeing this season, this upcoming season. Yeah, 10 new guys. Uh, we're really excited about this recruiting class. Neutral Zone ranked it as... Um, the highest recruiting class we've ever had in college hockey. Uh, so that's, that's a really big thing for us. We're in the top half of the country. Uh, I think at one point we were as high as 19th. They re-ranked, uh, re-evaluated some of the 2001, 2002 birth years. So there are a couple uh, 18 year olds with some of the big boys like Michigan and North Dakota and Denver. Uh, I think Auntie Tuomisto, a Red Wing draft pick is one of those guys. Uh, so they re-ranked them and we don't have any of those. So a couple of those big teams that we were initially ahead of, um, are now a little ahead of us recruiting-wise. Uh, we're still ahead of teams like Notre Dame, Minnesota State, Bowling Green uh, in those neutral zone rankings, so we're really excited about that. Uh, we think the guys we have have tremendous upside. You mentioned the goalie, Logan Stein. He's one of four for Team USA right now, uh, battling it out for the goaltending position for the IIHF World Junior Championships. Um, he's got some stiff competition. Camesso, Knight, uh, and Wolf are all very good goalies as well. Um, but it's going to be, you know, a good battle. It's good to have him in the conversation. We've never had somebody go to World Junior Championships from Ferris State, so we're hoping that Logan can be the first. Um, very supportive of that and him. He's a little bit of a taller goaltender. Had a really strong year in the USHL. Had to kind of battle it out with a little bit of an older kid, um, but he put on some really strong performances. Some big body forwards. We we bring a lot of size to this class, which. We haven't had in a while. Antonio Venuto is 6'3". He can put the puck in the net. He's a big boy. Um, on the blue line, we've got Ben Schulteis is a big guy, 6'3". Drew Cooper is a big guy, 6'1". Um, we are packing a punch. I'm excited about a Czech forward. Uh, Stepan Pokorny will be the first Czech-born player in team history. Very skilled, very smart hockey player. Watched him a lot in Madison last year. Um, I just think that this freshman class, it's 10 guys, but I really think it makes us very deep. Um, I thought our freshman class last year did a lot of very good things, and with them taking a step forward, I see this team taking a step forward, especially because you know we're healthy now. We were not healthy at any point last season. We had guys go down to catastrophic injuries, it seemed like, every week. So I feel really good about this this upcoming season. Yeah, I remember how – because I think when I came back, when I, that was when Marshall Moyes came back and had a big game. He was out for a good exterior time, and Kale Norris was out. And it just – I was funny. Like, it, you know, you think when you follow the team, you get used to in calling games and being around the jail. You think you see players quite a bit. I had to look at the roster every single time. Like, all right, who is actually in the lineup tonight? That was. It seemed like that's what it looked like. Yeah, I, you mentioned it. Cole Norris missed, missed about eight weeks at one point. Marshall Moyes missed six weeks. 
Dallas Tulick missed, I think, four or five weeks worth of games at different times with different injuries. Uh, he was a freshman that was pretty good. Uh, gosh, Nate Callen played the whole season as our captain with a just a messed up wrist. I, I felt really bad for him. He was he was in rough shape. Joe Rutkowski was banged up all season long. Camp Clark had some had some injuries that he battled with. Uh, Jason Tack had had a hip injury all season long that never healed. Um, it was really hard to get up off the ground and going. I mean, that team, and I give them a lot of credit for this resilience, went on a two-week Alaska trip for four games with no healthy scratches. Jeez. After all the injury, after all the injury, bad luck we had. We went up there with no healthy scratches. We went two one and one on the trip. Very respectable considering the circumstances. We were missing most of our top six forwards at that point and, and a couple very good defensemen. Um, they went on that trip and did a really good job. And they they showed at times, especially early last year, how resilient they were. And then things got a little out of hand with the injuries, and it, it took some time to to get some things right. Um, but I, I liked a lot of their moxie, I guess would be the way I'd put it. They were never out. And there were times the last two years where you could just tell we were down and out. And that never happened with last year's team. And the thing is too, like that schedule at the end, the second half of the year was just rough to be a part of. And, but there were some, like you said, there were some high points. There was Jake Willits having a great season. And you talk about all the injuries and a lot of those seniors like Rutkowski and Callen, they all went on to play pro hockey afterwards though. But then again, if someone offers you a professional contract, what are you going to do? Say no. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was, um, second half of the schedule was tough. I mean, we went through and we only won one game after Christmas. Um, but the, the thing I liked the most, and I hadn't seen it in a few years, was I would come to practice in February when things were bleak, and it just felt bleak. Um, and it, it didn't feel that way when you walked in the rink. It, it felt like you were practicing with a championship team. They, were just, they just had that attitude every day. They were just going to keep trying to get it right, best they could. Um, and there are teams, I've been on teams like this in high school, where you walk into practice and you know your season's going to end at a certain point, you don't have good feelings about it, but that was not that team. They were very resilient, and I respect that. That's obviously very important towards building the program and a program that, in not next season, but the season after, will be part of the revamped Central Collegiate Hockey Association, which I'm personally excited about, giving a kid that grew up in the CCHA, watching the CCHA. They did announce recently that they announced the commissioner, Don Lucia, the former University of Minnesota head coach, two-time national championship head coach, Harrison, why do you think, and of course, Harrison, you were a big part of the announcement for the commissioner of the CCHA, Don, and why do you think he is the perfect guy as a former collegiate coach? Why is he the perfect guy to be the head of the new CCHA? Don, the the thing I like about Don is he knew when this all broke up and, and things changed and we became part of the new WCHA and Minnesota became part of the Big Ten. He knew um, what was happening at college hockey was going to need to change again because it didn't fit everybody. It didn't help his program at all at that point. Um, and I would still argue that it, it hasn't helped them. I mean, they've struggled in the Big Ten. Attendance has been poor at Minnesota Gopher Hockey. Now they're under Bob Motzko's leadership, who I think is a great coach. But uh, Don is an ideas guy. Um, I, I think he, he swings a big stick. Yeah, you know, he, he speaks softly, carry a big stick. Um, which which works. I think he can follow his lead. He's already gotten very busy. One thing I really like, he's got a very good idea about officials 
And he had the same idea, I think back in 2013, when, when everybody split initially, that he wants all the Western leagues, the NCHC, the WCHA, you know, the Big Ten, the new CCHA, he wants them all to share one pool of officials. So you're not going into a Big Ten building and getting Big Ten officials in a non-conference game. But the worry initially was that the smaller schools and the smaller leagues were not going to be able to track the highest end officials. Right. Um, but if you can save money by putting officials in geographical areas where it's cheaper to travel them. Um, and you can keep a quality consistent across college hockey and you don't go into a building. Um, I don't know if this is part of his reasoning, but you don't go into a building. You, you get another conference's official or set of officials who treats you differently because you're not in their conference. Um, so I, I think his ability to bring big ideas to the table, uh, start moving them will be good. I, I think it could have ramifications on overtime rules as well. I think he's that kind of guy, and that could make things a little more exciting in college hockey. I would be for some changes. Um, but I, I just respect Don. I only got to meet him once. It was very brief back in like 2016, I think. Um, but I could just tell that guy was uh, he's a leader. And it, he did a great job with Minnesota over the years. Times changed. Their needs changed. Uh, he stepped away from the game a little while, for a little while. Uh, but I think he's really bringing, uh, bringing a big punch to the CCHA. I think that's a huge win for us. It's going to be exciting because I, I mean, you can, I mean, you can probably attest to it too. And, you know, growing up a little bit here in you know, Michigan, being a Red Wings fan, there was a lot. I mean, Joe's arena was the home of CCHA, all the CCHA championships, the Ron Mason cup, all were at the Joe. I mean, the CCHA has such an historic lineage and it's even, even though it was not, you know, it's not one of the oldest conferences. I believe the WCHA is probably still the oldest active conference that or the ECAC. The CCHA, though, when it was around, especially in the 90s with Michigan, Michigan State, you know, even Ohio State plucking in there and had some good teams up there at Lake State. It was one of the best, if not the best conference in that era of college hockey. It was the best conference. Lake State won three national titles. Uh, North two of them, won two of them have some little controversy on that, but no one's going to talk about that here on the show. <laughs> Northern Michigan won two of them as well. Um, uh, I Northern, mean, Northern, I think, only got one. They got 91. 91, I think, was the other one they got, I believe. Oh, I have that. Okay, I'm thinking maybe Lake State. I yeah. took maybe Lake State one from them. Sorry. Everyone, yeah, everyone in the one. UPs won at least once, that's for sure. Yeah. So, I mean, you look at it, and those are two good teams that pack a punch. Uh, Michigan and Michigan State won theirs. Um, but it, it was just, it was a really great conference. Things are going to be different. Um, I think there's, I think there's no doubt about it. Things are going to be different, but the CCHA is uh, going to be exciting. It's going to be good to have it back. Uh, the one thing I'm glad that we're keeping Michigan tech owns the rights to the uh, McNaughton cup, which is the regular season trophy in the WCHA right now, but it'll move over to the CCHA with us. I don't know if you've seen the McNaughton cup, but it's like four feet tall and yeah. straight cup. This it, thing is swag. Oh, it's, it's really nice. Yeah. I've never seen it in person because then again, well, it's usually held by, you know, Minnesota State or, you know, St. Well, not St. Cloud, but it's it's been around the block over there in the Minnesotas and the Wisconsin's for an extended period of time. But I guess the big question that I have, Harrison, I think it's a question everyone's thought of, which, by the way, I believe the only teams that uh, Bowling Green, Lake State and Northern Michigan are the only three teams that were part of the original CCHA that will be in the new rendition. 
But that's only seven teams, Harrison. And it's an interesting little question here. And I, I know some people, I know a certain broadcaster down there that broadcasts in the state of Alabama would like to know if you know anything. But who is going to be, is there a talk of an eight team? Is there a talk of evening out the conference as best as possible? And if so, does it rhyme with U-A-H or each? I don't know how you'd, I don't know how to say U-A-H without rhyme. I'm not good at rhyming, but. Who else could be, uh, be a contender for the new conference? I think um, Huntsville, Don Lucci said this on the broadcast, and I like a lot of people at Huntsville. Um, I, I was a really big fan of Mike Corbett's personally as well. Peyton Turnage is a person I like very much as well. I, you know, I think if the commitment to hockey is there, uh, the financial backing in a long-term scenario is there, a new facility is there, I think that they make themselves a strong case to be in, but Don Lucia said they've, they've got to figure some things out if they want to be a contender for that spot. Um, so they know where they stand. I, I think that's one very important thing. Don laid out very clearly what he was looking for and what the conference is looking for. Um, there are a couple free agents right now. Um, St. Thomas is the one I think people have pegged as the most, I don't know if attractive is the right word, but the best fit maybe. They're right there with Minnesota State and Bemidji State geographically. Um, they're in the Twin Cities, which would give you a Twin Cities in West Michigan um, kind of reach, including obviously the UP in Michigan. Um, geographically, it could potentially attract other teams down the line. You never know what happens if there's more realignment on the horizon with uh, some teams maybe in the NCHC or otherwise. Um I'm not saying I know anything. I'm just saying, you know, geographically, if, if it were to make sense for anybody else, you never know. Nope, nope. Your words, um, your words, concrete, Harrison. Yep, you're right. Hearing it first. St. Thomas, eighth team here in the CCHA. Harrison called it. <laughs> I did something um, completely different, and then Harrison's wrong, and then we can yell at you after that. <laughs> I would say it's unlikely Long Island would be a contender for that right now, just yeah, geographically. Yeah. I think they're going to find their way maybe into hockey east, but I would think in the Atlantic hockey or ECAC. Well, Atlantic um, hockey is an interesting one because there's there's uh, there's talks that it was put on hold because of the coronavirus that Navy was going to be that 12th team in that league because they were going to be the they said that would put all of the the military academies into one conference and that would have made that 12, but that was put on hold. And I think Illinois was going to make an announcement too, but that's I mean that's what I've heard through college hockey news and other folks in the in the game, but yeah. Yeah, it's up in the air. I would say I don't know what to think about Arizona State to be completely honest with you. Um they have the money to do whatever they want. So there's no mistakes there. I honestly think they're going to remain a free agent for a while. Um, maybe if they're the right fit for the CCHA, I would love it. I'll tell you what, if, uh, if I'm still at Ferris, when, if that were to happen, I would be packing my golf clubs on every trip down to Tempe. But um, that would be, that would be something. But I, I think you would think geographical, you would think financial backing, would make the most sense for the CCHA. The travel is the one thing that um, right now, financially with COVID, I mean, travel is so expensive. Yeah. Um, the airlines went the other direction. I, I know I don't have much time to go back into this as we're kind of getting towards the end here, but you look at the financials of what flying is like at the beginning of this confidence in flying was low. So the ticket prices were low. Right. Um, now it's the other way around. 
confidence, while still might not be very high in flying, the airlines have said, well, it's more exclusive now. We only have 50 to 60% of the seats open. So now we're going to jack the ticket prices up. My dad tried to buy a plane ticket from where he lives to Michigan. He lives in New York City. Yeah. And that's a $380, $400 ticket. She's talking two weeks out normally. That's normally. Right. $950 is what it came out to. So, I mean, if you think about the financial strain you put on schools by having to repeatedly go long distance, and it it can be tough. So, I I think the financial component of this is definitely a big part of the new CCHA. So, um, when these schools and the athletic directors and the commissioner decide to sit down with a school, they're going to do it knowing that their school can financially continue to do this and support other sports at the same time. So, um, yeah, whoever does it is going to have to make sense everywhere for the CCHA. Yeah, I mean, I talked to Peyton Turnage a couple of weeks ago here on the show. I was really excited. He was he was thinking, man, this could be it. And if they can really pull it off, we saw that with the with the support that they had to save the program. There is a there is a hockey hotbed down there, kind of in the wings. So we'll have to see how that goes. We are going to wrap things up here on Twelve Ounce Sports. Here, folks, thank you for tuning in this first live show. Harrison, thank you very much for coming on. You can follow Harrison on Twitter at Watt Harrison. That's W A T T Harrison has it backwards because he's Yoda, at least according to his Twitter feed. Um, but Harrison, thank you once again, coming on. I was going to ask you about the Red Wings, uh, the, the lottery, but unfortunately we ran out of time today. Definitely ask you about scam. The net. scam, <clears throat> rig, scam, <clears throat> rig, scam. Hey, I'm not saying you agree with Ken Kalik may agree with you on that one, but he may or may not have uh, you and him have some similarities. So I guess you two can definitely talk about that. We'll have you on later. Harrison talk some wings and we can rant and rave on how, how great Detroit sports are right now. Oh, can't wait. <laughs> I know you can't upcoming up next year on 12 ounce sports radio. We'll be talking minors with the rando. He'll be talking federal hockey league, cam new and major league baseball and the draft lottery as well. More extended coverage on that. Thank you all once again, folks. Follow us at The Fuel Show on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Hashtag TKS. Harrison, thank you again once for coming on. And goodbye, everybody, here from Grand Rapids. <laughs>